This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Kobayashi Melons, home of the laughing watermelon. Kobayashi Melons, please come and buy one. We haven't had visitors for a long time. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And my name is Jesse. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week we have a guest, as you've heard. Jesse, not that Jesse, yes, that Jesse, is here with us. <laughs> the second one, what did you watch the last time you were on the show, Jess? Well, I brought uh, The Joy That Was Hagazusa. <laughs> yeah, really happy movie, that one. Uh, it was real good. Gosh, and the, what was the other one called? The Italian horror film. Night of the Devils. Thank you, Night of the Devils. Oh, man. And I can't remember, Jesse, did you like that? It was something. <laughs> On retrospect, in retrospect, I believe I said yes, it's a watch. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think I would backpedal then, so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> so, in case you haven't listened to that episode, but you are listening to this one, know that when you do listen to that episode, <laughs> she has retracted her statement. She disagrees with herself. <laughs> well, these are some weird ones. We're watching 1977's House from Japan. And 2019's Midsummer. Getting right into our first movie, House, from 1977. Directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi. Written by Chiho Katsura. Based on an original story by Chigumi Obayashi. Starring, these are going to be a lot of Japanese names, so please excuse me. Kimiko Ikigami, Miko Jinbo, Kumiko Oba, Ai Matsubara, Mieko Sato, Eriko Tanaka... And Masayo Miyako. That's all of our stars. Uh, At the time, they were not big stars. They were just commercial models and actresses. And the director, Nobuhiko Obayashi, had never directed anything but commercials before. So uh, he brought on the people that he knew, I guess. (laughs) What is House About? Um, a scorned young girl uh, who lost her mother and is having some feels against her stepmother wants to go out to the countryside to see her aunt after... Uh, Ten years? Exactly. With all her, her gal pals and what unfolds is just delirium. It's pretty delirious, I would say. Mm-hmm. That's a good description. Yes. You can watch it for free on HBO Max and the Criterion Channel. You can rent it for $4 on Amazon, Apple, and Vudu. You can buy it for $20 on Vudu, but it's only $5 on Amazon and Apple for some weird reason. <laughs> Should people watch House? A hundred percent. Yes, I would say yes. Just know that it is... An acid trip. Yeah, very, very much so. This is one of the strangest things I've ever watched and thoroughly enjoyed. 
because uh, I've seen strange shit that's just been like kind of washes over you. You know, this is just strange. <laughs> I'm not really enjoying myself. It's just weird. Like, this was very weird, and I also really, really enjoyed it. It is a lot of fun, as long as you know that going in. Because if you went into this thinking you're going to see a serious thing, like, no, you're not going to enjoy it. I, I do notice myself, as I'm getting older, being more forgiving to, like, campy horror films. But it reminds me of some, I don't know, it was more pleasurable than, and I know I'm going to get hate for this, like, die you zombie bastards, where I'm like... This one was more enjoyable. I've never seen that. Very good. But you just said this was better. That's good. I mean, it's just <laughs> B-horror, you know. Anyway, they're totally different. Anyway, <laughs> I, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it even five years ago as much as I do now. Why do you think that is? Maybe I'm just getting weirder with age. <laughs> but I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah, th we were saying earlier that this felt a lot like Evil Dead-ish. With the way it does its sort of campy comedy horror mm -hmm. vibe that it has. But this is much more psychedelic. Yes. A lot more colors. A lot more, like, funny camera work. And when I say that... Oh, guys, it's going to be very difficult to describe what this movie looks like. Like, you kind of have to watch it to experience it. We can tell you guys what happens in it, but that's not going to cut it. I'm emphatically nodding my head yes. <laughs> and literally had that that same uh, thing occur to me as we were watching. I'm just, I'm not sure how I'm going to convey my thoughts. Aside from, like, the plot is actually pretty straightforward, but... <laughs> right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, you're going to hear us say that, and then this thing happens, and you're going to think, there's no way that happened. It's just a bunch of weird shit happening, because you're in a witch's house. Like, that's, that's all it is. <laughs> so, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1977's House. Wow. Just see the movie. I can't believe what I saw. Even after seeing it a second time, I still can't believe it. If I describe the plot, even then it sounds generic. It's about a group of girls who go on a trip and stay at a house, which turns out to be haunted. Sort of. It doesn't sound like anything special, but this is as special as it gets. The film changes mood at the flick of a switch. It's all over the place. One minute it's lighthearted and cute, then there's blood, severed limbs, and weird lightning effects. There's a decapitated head biting a girl on the rear end, there's a girl who gets eaten by a piano, there's a skeleton dancing around by strings, a glowing cat jumping out of a painting, blood spurts, heads float, but somehow it keeps going back to that cute childish tone. On the technical side, this is an incredibly ambitious film for 1977. It's so well made, you'd wonder why isn't this a well-known classic, other than for the reason that it's so offbeat. It's a shame that it's called House, and not something that will catch your attention better. This is a film that when you see it, you'll wonder why haven't you seen it earlier. All right, Jesse, get us started. How does house begin? Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry to just plop that on you. 
<laughs> with this movie of all movies. No, it's all good. So basically this 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 young girl, all by the way, all the girls have strange names and I'm not sure what to think of oh, it. They're Her all name, great. Right? As soon as I I read the names somewhere, and as soon as I read the names, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to like this movie, aren't I?" Yeah, so every name represents them as a character. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the main character's name is Gorgeous. She is, you know, her. she loses her mother. Her dad gets back from Italy. And she decides that with a new, you know, stepmother in tow. And she decides that she wants to go see her aunt out in the countryside. And in, who she hasn't seen in quite some time invites her six friends with her. Kung Fu. Yes. Who is Kung the best Fu, character. Who is, yes, absolutely the best character in this entire movie. She does Kung Fu. <laughs> who would have thought? Uh, also invites Prof. Who, who has glasses and is the, the smart, smart one. one. Exactly. Mac. Who likes to eat a lot. Now, they call her fat. She's she's, she's so, so not. She's, she's so skinny. She's absolutely. I mean, compared to these models, yes. But like, no. Ab- she's and it's not even one of those things where I'm just saying she's absolutely fine. She's gorgeous. <laughs> she doesn't have it. No, like she's thin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But apparently, the name Mac is from Stomac. Yes. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. But yes, other characters are sweet. Who is sweet? She's super sweet. Uh-huh. 100%. <laughs> Fantasy. Who is like Gorgeous's best friend. And lives in her imaginary world where Togo and her are in love. Togo, one of their teachers. Togo being a moron. Who's going to turn into bananas by the end of the film. Now, remember when I said you're not going to believe me when I say that certain things are going to happen? (laughs) And then we have Melody. Who is a musician. Plays the piano. 100%. And the guitar and... (laughs) But these are our girls. When we talk about the girls, these are them. We know that they were originally going to go to... Togo's sister owns like a hotel resort and he invited them all to come up. And that's really weird. Like, that's really fucking weird. (laughs) And instead, his sister gets pregnant, and so they have nowhere to go. And that's why Gorgeous invites them up to the aunt's house. And they invite Togo as well. (laughs) Who never makes it. He never does. (laughs) Nope. No. Even though she keeps, fantasy keeps imagining that he will. Yeah. She wants to have a relationship with Togo, I guess. Mm -hmm. How apropos. (laughs) Uh, her dad was in Italy, mm-hmm. and he, he is, says he, he makes does sound for movies. He does music for movies, and the line he gives when she meets him is, "Leone said my music is even better than Morcones." Oh, we didn't mention we meet Blanche, this beautiful cat that belongs to Gorgeous. It is this beautiful white cat that she finds, but then ends up having lived in the house, and none of the girls think that's weird. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's this beautiful, white, fluffy, um, pristine designer kitty. It's like a Persian, right? Right. Yeah, something like that. It's so pretty. But when they get to the house, there's like a billion of them. No, it's the same one. I know. What I mean is it's lived forever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we find out that the aunt has had Blanche since 
she was a kid since she was gorgeous's age. If you guys are familiar with the uh, Choose Your Own Adventure book, and I can't remember what it's called, but there's one about a house, a haunted house, where an old witch lives there with the cat, and the cat lives forever. And this is that cat. This cat is going to cause a lot of trouble, and you don't want to hate it, but it's a little son of a bitch. (laughs) So, do how do you guys want to explain... The camera work of this film, because I don't know how to. Well, it's just, it's such an amalgam of so many things. It's like, you have jump cuts all over the place. Mm -hmm. You have repeated looped jump cuts. cuts. (laughs) You have double exposures. You have just these melting scenes. You have lots of just these hazy, like, you know, very glam spotlights just circling in on someone's face, almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon, but more, uh, you know, fuzzed out and overexposed with wind blowing through their hair. And it oh, just, yeah. Yeah, just... Lots of wind. <laughs> Where does it start? I mean, I, I took some notes about when they're in the house with her dad, with Gorgeous's dad... And the family, there's that was the first time just we're sh- we're seeing everything through this like glass tiled like wall, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, which is pretty cool. And you start seeing the creative editing there, where it's just it's jarring and um, psychedelic. It has the double exposure. There's a lot of colors and vignettes going on at random times. Uh And then we get, again, we get introduced to the girls in their school uniforms. They decide where they're going to go. I mean, there's so many, so many notes. The sets themselves. Oh, yeah. Gosh, it's probably one of my favorite things. In many (laughs) cases, very obviously sets, and they have these painted backdrops. Yes. Which are just gorgeous, but very, very obvious. Yes, Mm -hmm. they're very pretty, but yeah, they're so obviously not real. And I was wondering, is that a lack of budget or... I think it was deliberate. Um, but I mean, I'm sure it's it's a little bit of sure. both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes, I think the filmmakers know exactly what they're doing here. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm 99% certain they know what they're doing. I'm, well, okay. So to an extent. When you look at the special effects. Yeah. This is the sort think, of thing. So here's what you think happened. They wanted to be funny and campy. Here's what I think happened. We don't have any money. <laughs> Let's make it look like we did it on purpose. That's fine. I think. That's fine, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Again, it it reminds me of a little bit of a totally different tone and vibe, but like a low-budge Wes Anderson, like, like, um, whimsical, like, kind of there's this, like, childishness to the sets where it feels like a school play. Mm -hmm. On purpose, though. It does, like... It reminds me of something you would see in like Moonrise Kingdom in a way where it's like this little (laughs) set with these little characters moving across very different and much, you know, once much more polished and has a different intention. But yes. Also, can we just talk about going back to the dreamy beauty shots with the wind and the hair? Mm -hmm. I really feel like the 
I think I can't remember if it was the mother or the stepmother, but I wrote down that she looks like a Japanese Stevie Nicks. It's probably the stepmom because she's always wearing the scarves. Yes. Yes. She was wearing this all white outfit and it was very, it had like this really cool, very 70s like psychedelic boho vibe. And then there was all this wind and she was very mystical. So it was very Stevie Nicks. Now, see, I feel like the stepmother is a perfect example of them doing it on purpose. Obviously, the wind is a joke. Like that's... That's very clear. Well, I think it's it's um I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's a joke. Like it's supposed to be silly, yes, but I think the point is to sort of elevate things. You know, kind of like all the visuals you're getting are really over the top, right? Or it's almost like you're on drugs. They want everything to be like that. Every conversation, every last thing that you see, every line that's read is really over the top, especially in the beginning it feels like a sappy melodrama. She runs into her father's arms and he holds her. And like, you know, it's, it feels like something that, and you also got to remember, this is Japan in the seventies, right? This is not, they made great movies. Nothing like this. Uh, This was apparently, apparently I mentioned this earlier, but apparently this is them trying to be like, Hey, Jaws was really cool. Let's do a special effects movie. This is what we get out of it. But everything sort of elevated, I think, is the best way to describe it. You really have to watch it. Yeah, you really do. This is going to be hard. The practical effects are amazing. And don't take themselves that seriously. And we'll get back to like some of our favorite objects that are our favorite characters, let's just say. (laughs) (laughs) And can I just also say when we were seeing... uh, footage of her of her dad or clips of her dad i just said fuck yeah sideburns <laughs> really good sideburns <laughs> or no that's uh that's the ants guy right is it no, togo has sideburns togo has sideburns right maybe togo but it's not the yeah. military kid no 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 i feel like there was just some really strong sideburn game yeah i think that, i think that that was togo it's the 70s man had sideburns the fashion was another thing I really loved where I was, because I've seen some amazing thrifting from folks who come back from Japan and even from uh, thrift stores in Little Tokyo in L.A. I live in L.A. And some of the best thrifted stuff I've seen is Japanese vintage. And it was coming through in this film really good. I didn't get to talk about the very first shot. <laughs> Okay. There's this weird sort of vignette, like frozen, blurry outer border. And there's this girl wearing this robe thing and she's moving around. Then she takes the robe off and she's a schoolgirl, And then she walks away and the camera follows her. And that's when what's happening in this box in the middle of the screen with this girl catches up to the vignette on the outside and then fills the entire screen. Yes. It's such a weird. And that's like the first thing you see. It is so. And that's going to be the rest of the movie is going to be weird like that. Right. That's why I immediately wrote down. You got to talk about the camera work. I mean, it's immediate. 
Yeah. And all the things that Jesse said, I mean, the, it carries on throughout. It never stops. And after we saw that moment, I immediately had to rewind because I was like, wait a minute, what just happened there? Because all of a sudden that box, which was something completely different, turned into the entire screen and it looked really smooth. And I had to go back and realize, oh, that's OK. I see what they did there. But the first time it was kind of wondrous. <laughs> oh, and we should also point out. We keep saying stepmom. She's not actually a stepmom. She's the woman that her, that Gorgeous's dad brought home and is going to be her new mom. He's going to marry her, but he hasn't yet. Yes. Okay, so I need to ask you guys about this thing because I thought it was going to come back up and it never did. What was that weird, like... The bucket thing? No. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Exactly. This is after they've all decided that they're going to go to the aunt's house uh, because the stepmom has just decided that she's going to go to the aunt's house to talk to the daughter. Yeah, we'll she's give her some time and over. then I'll go over there and talk to her one on one. Then we got like a TV intro where we saw like an apartment building and all these wacky people that lived in it. And I was like, oh, I guess this is where... The ant lives, and then it cut away from there, and we never saw. No, it again. it's it, that's the bucket thing. Togo is at, he's doing stretches in the morning, and the lady above him says, "Hello, how's it going? Good morning." And he's like, "Oh yeah." And then he leaves, and he walks down the stairs, and then Blanche walks in front of him. He trips and he falls ass first into a bucket, which then they do one of these sort of yes. stop motion effects where he's sliding around the ground and everything. Yeah. And he can't go with them because his ass is stuck in a bucket. That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting, yeah, again, interesting choices in post that they did with, like, the stop motion jump cutty thing. And, like, it almost has, again, this whimsy vibe, uh -huh. which is hilarious. And I think I have, I have a better note of what the sets felt like. They're like a Mr. Rogers set. Yeah. That's a better Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except a lot of sunsets. Exactly. Different yeah, uh -huh. different color palette, but kind of a similar nostalgia and whimsy. Gorgeous is late for the train because she's looking for Blanche, the cat. So they all finally meet up and they get on the train and then Blanche is there. Already. Magically on the, the train. The cat's on the train. And then we get an animated train ride? Yes, with a rainbow. It reminds me a little bit of Willy Wonka at some points, like of like the part of Willy Wonka where you're going through the tunnel and just all the Technicolor <sighs> random, I don't know. I got some vibes like that or some like Lisa Frank on acid vibes. I feel that. And then that. in the middle of this train ride, this animated train ride, we get the story of Gorgeous's aunt. She tells all of her friends what the story about this aunt who lives in this mansion is. Was supposed to get married to a guy, and then the guy went off to war and never returned, and she promised she would wait forever. He promised he would be back. Yes. And she promised she would wait forever, and then that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Do we ever find out why her mom dies how her mom died? Yeah. No. Because we see her mom all you dressed mean Gorgeous up. Gorgeous's mom. Gorgeous's mom dressed up like a bride and the aunt standing there next to her in a photograph holding a cat. And we know she had a kid after that. 
But that's like all we know, right? I don't think we ever learned why she died. Yeah, I don't think so. Or how. I don't think so either. And it's all played like a silent film. Mm-hmm. You know, like they have title cards uh, for dialogue and all of that. Uh, and then, but the the whole time, the girls are chatting over it. Like they're having a conversation about what they're seeing in the silent film. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was very fun. Super fun. <laughs> Visually, I recalled as well, there was this sequence where it was black and white and there was a rose, someone was holding a rose that was wilting. Everything was black and white except for the rose petals themselves, which were red. And then there was animated blood running oh, yeah. between the hands of the person uh-huh. holding it, which just looked really cool. And if I recall, one of the girls described, you know, they're walking through the, again, like the silent film fantasy in their head, you know, of war. And there's a, an atom bomb, obviously, that they're referencing and you see it. And like, there's this tittering of it. It looks like cotton candy. Didn't they say it was like, yeah, looks like cotton uh-huh. candy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a little disturbing to be like. Just a bunch of innocent <laughs> little girls. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. We say little girls. They're very obviously young adult women. Right. But in this, they're high school age girls. Yeah. It kind of felt like Suspiria, like it was meant for younger girls. And then they decided to put older girls in it because they were going to be naked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As you do. So they take a train ride. They take a bus ride. And then they get dropped off and they go on a journey through the jungle. Yes. (laughs) Through the forest. Very strange. Is this the part where they said, someone said, what a landscape. It feels like we're in a different world where I felt how ironic given all the practical effects and the animation and just the fantasy that we're going through. Yep. It's like, it's kind of like they go into a different world. And here's the thing. I mean, it's all because of a witch. So you could argue that like all of this is just the witch's doing. They encounter a watermelon cellar. Yeah, this guy is weird. Yeah. They move a watermelon and his face is just there, like he's trying to scare them. Yes, so he's like a prankster, but then later well, he seems evil. Yes, he's like a, he's like impish, and it's almost like he's there as a... He works for her? As like, yeah, like a hand of the witch or something like that. It's very weird. It's Which, very bizarre. The watermelon comes back... To haunt us later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's also yes, weird. It he makes a comment about these girls' head because he tells them, oh, yeah, the house is that mansion right there. And he sends them off. And he makes a comment of or something about them. And then, like, this puppet watermelon that he has hanging behind him just starts talking. What? I don't remember a talking watermelon. Like it laughs at him or something. Do you remember this? I recall the watermelons looking almost like, yeah. Like, it's, they could very well be puppets. Like. There was a... So the, the the watermelons are there, and there's a one that's been cut open, and it's hanging open like it has a mouth, and there's, like, eyes on it. I must have And then that this. mouth flaps up and down after he makes some sort of comment as these girls walk away. Oh, that sucks. Like, it's very weird. You'll have to post it on Twitter. I absolutely will. But yeah, he full-on says the lady will be pleased, so he knows what she's mm-hmm. gonna do. So something strange happens. Okay, so first of all, let's just get this out of the way. Every time something magical happens, 
the cat's eyes twinkle, and I loved it. <laughs> yes, the, so this happens. They they meet the ant. The ant's in a wheelchair now, and they're going to take a picture. Sweet is going to take a picture. Why doesn't the cat want her to take a picture? No evidence or something, I'm guessing. I guess. Maybe it's something also of, like, a, a superstition thing also, possibly. Yeah, maybe taking photos of ghosts. That's what Fatal Frame, the game series, is all about, taking mm. pictures of ghosts. That's um, a good idea. And the cat, Blanche's eyes, just glow, and then <laughs> the camera just on a wire, just <laughs> leaps out of Sweet's hands <laughs> yep. and then smashes on the floor. And the ant's like, oh, guess no pictures. <laughs> Good. Is this the part with the chandelier? This they is go when inside. Kung Fu defeats a chandelier, yes. Kung Fu defeats a chandelier, and I just wrote lizard impalement. Because yes! there's a very cute lizard that gets impaled by a shard of the chandelier. It's like For a no claymation lizard. Okay, so these little crystals on the chandelier are falling and they're going to land on the women and I guess kill them. <laughs> one falls, just miss misses one of the girls and impales this claymation lizard. And then... So to show how fatal it could have been. Yeah. So it like sticks in the floor through the lizard. And then another one's coming down and this is when Kung Fu like goes into action and she takes out these crystals falling from the chandelier. Yeah. I and then the cat eats the lizard. <laughs> and keep in mind, I believe this was one of those sequences where it's like super intense, weird, fast cuts that uh -huh. don't like, yes, disorienting and yep. pushing in and out. And But here's the thing. Again, they do that throughout. So you could argue that that's just a fun, wacky thing they're doing, but you could also argue that way they don't have to do any fucking actual special effects. Oh, such a hater. Of <laughs> yeah, you are a hater. They do, they do effects in this that just Japan just had never seen in their movies before. That's why it was but, such a big deal. I don't know why the lizard had to die. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very specific target. <laughs> What's that rhyme? I don't know why he had to die. I don't know. What is that nurse? It's like a nursery rhyme or something. I don't know what you're I talking about. I can't remember. About. It's right. There was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Mm. I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Yeah. That's what I guess she'll die. There's oh, the death there part go. right there. Does yeah. she die? She should. I know an old lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. No, she sends in <laughs> like a, a a mouse after the fly and a cat after the mouse and a dog or yeah. A My dog preschool after the cat. teacher read that to me. I loved it. <laughs> she swallowed the spider to catch the fly, but I don't know why she swallowed the fly. Perhaps she'll die. Now it's taken new meaning. Yes. She also takes this opportunity to say, oh, no, not here. Mm. Oh, but okay, so what I wrote down was the cat didn't want her to take the picture, but there's so many pictures of the cats. <laughs> and paintings yes. and everything, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Mac reveals that she actually bought a watermelon while she was down there at the watermelon cellar. Yes, and nobody she's realized hungry. she's carrying it. And she needs to chill it. So everyone's going to go their separate ways. Uh, we're going to learn that Sweet loves to clean. And Mac is down to cook. Or Prof is down to cook. One of those Mac two. Mac is going to cook. Yeah. 
and the fridge is out of order. So they've got to do natural refrigeration by tying it up and dropping it down a well. Yeah, which is going to kill Mac. Yes. We don't see how. No, we don't. But she does die here. That's not the important part. (laughs) The important part is the horrible green screen. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll get to there. We're not there yet. They're just refrigerating the watermelon at this point. And at this point, the ant says, Mac, you look so tasty and so round. Yeah. That was the time where we're like, what? Really? <laughs> that was she looks we were great. Like, okay, she's gonna eat her. That's what's yeah. gonna happen. Uh-huh. And she does. Also, there's a skeleton that we're gonna see a lot. In the room with the grand piano where Melody goes. Yes, because Melody plays on the piano. And they ask the ant, why is there a skeleton in here? And she's like, because her grandpa was a doctor. So, of course, there's a skeleton in the yeah, house. Yeah, it's like one of those um, skeletons you might see up in a classroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that skeleton is going to do a lot of legwork in this film. <laughs> a lot of arm you. work, more like it. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, the cat literally gets thrown to the ant. Oh, yeah, it's so driving away. <laughs> the implication is that the cat jumps into her lap, but you know somebody is just off screen and just chucked that cat at that lady. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Did not look at all natural. Oh, no. It was great. <laughs> uh, so that night, they're going to get ready. They're going to have the watermelon for dinner, I guess. And Mac goes to get it and doesn't come back. So Fantasy goes to get Mac, pulls up. She's like, oh, she didn't even get the watermelon. That's weird. Pulls up the watermelon Sets it down, looks at the sunset. It's like, oh, the sunset's really pretty. And then looks at the watermelon, and it's actually Mac's head. And it talks to her. It says, fantasy. Fanta. Fanta. Yeah, they call her Fanta. Wanna, wanna? Don't Don't you wanna? Fanta. What does the head do? Do you remember? Okay, you could talk about the the bad blue screen here. God, it was so it was a thing of beauty. <laughs> the whole I mean, keep in mind that throughout this whole movie, we get to revel in the wonderfulness that is early blue screen. Fantasy goes out to the well looking for Mac, pulls the rope up from the well, and the head of Mac is Comes and, you know, disembodied head. (laughs) Horrible, horrible keying. There's all of this, like, black negative space around her. So much. (laughs) So good. And then starts, the head starts bouncing around and then starts eating ass. Yeah, it bites bites fantasy on the ass. Bites her ass. Literally bites her ass with really shitty keying out around it, which was... (laughs) But so fantasy runs in and it's just like, holy shit, there's a decapitated head in the well. And when they pull it up, it's just the watermelon. And because it's fantasy, they think she made it up. Yeah, but they're still like, well, then where did Mac go? Yeah, exactly. Where did Mac go? Uh, She'll come back. Don't worry. She'll be back. And then all of a sudden, Auntie can walk. Did we mention she was in a Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And like, oh, you guys have like breathed life into me or whatever. Yeah, I have energy now. You guys gave me energy. Mm-hmm. Did they dine on the watermelon? They did. They did dine on the watermelon. With the spoon. It also had like, again, that practical effect of the sponginess. Like it had a little bit of movement to it because it's Mac. <laughs> and and uh the ant there's like this eyeball that pops out of her mouth there's oh lots yeah of weird stuff like that and the skeleton when we first meet it has an eyeball and fantasy doesn't say anything about it? it she's the one who so. sees the eyeball in the mouth yeah and it like looks around and the ant's like kind of being a winky face like you know <laughs> like the uncle at your at dinner <laughs> You know, going uh, and showing a kid its food and then ha ha ha, it's really funny. But this is an eyeball in her mouth and it looks around. <laughs> but again, it's fantasy. So exactly. she knows no one's going to believe her if she says anything. Yep. But yes, the eyeball was creepy and gross. I wrote, this is my exact note about the ass biting scene. <laughs> fantasy finds Mac's head in the well. It says her name, then flies and bites her butt. <laughs> Yep. This is what I mean when I say if I just said the things that happen in this movie, it's nuts. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a better way to put it. (laughs) They don't notice that the well water turns red, but they never come back to that, so. Yeah, and I think it's Prof or somebody is like doing dishes with the water out of the pump and then puts her glass underneath it to fill it up and then blood starts coming out mm-hmm. and she drinks it without noticing but they cut before mm-hmm. they we find out what happened there yeah mm-hmm. sweet also a doll speaks to her that we never come back uh-huh. to uh, no we do okay so sweet finds a doll that says her name yeah and it like hypnotizes her its eyes do that glowy thing and then sweet seems to be entranced yeah, I wrote down flashing lights in the eyes equals power. Uh-huh. Ooh, and keep in mind, uh, the music throughout all of this is very sweet and traditional. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't talked about the music at the music is great. all. It's very early seventies, I would say. Mm-hmm. Even though this movie was made in the late seventies, <laughs> it's very funky. Yes, oh, it gets very funkadelic. <laughs> Which is the best part. There's also kind of like these fairy tale kind of vibes yeah. at some point that are so innocent. There's yeah. a lot of piano. Exactly, exactly. I, yeah, but my favorite parts are the funkadelic. <laughs> Kung Fu was also out chopping wood at this point, and at some for some reason, the wood attacks her. It's flying around and it attacks her, and she needs to kung fu them. Yes, and kicks their asses. Yes, always. <laughs> she also loses her skirt in the process and never puts it back on. That's right. She's in her underwear for the rest of the movie. And then after she beats up the logs, she goes, "This is ridiculous, but maybe it was just an illusion." <laughs> So there's also this weird stuff in the bathtub that creeps up on hair. Gorgeous. That's right. That was one of my favorite things where Gorgeous is chilling in the tub 
and it looks very peaceful. And there are some kind of beauty shots that are like aerial overhead as she's, you know, softly lounging in this nice, uh, almost spa vibe. And then there's this like hair that comes out of the water and it like creeps up and starts to come over her shoulders like it has a life of its own, like a, a swamp creature. And it was the best. And then it goes. <laughs> it goes nowhere. And then it goes in reverse. And kind of goes back into the water, but yeah. yeah. Well, it's supposed to evoke the idea that the witch is taking over her, taking yes. her over. It's yes. trying to take over Gorgeous. Well, we know she's definitely a witch, the ant, at this point, because... We see her eating a hand. Well, there's a musical interlude, <laughs> and the, the ant dances in the rafters. Yes, yes. And then... There's a skeleton dancing. That skeleton we saw before is dancing. That skeleton she, will dance for the rest of the movie. <laughs> she eats the hand. She eats like Max's hand or something. Uh-huh. Uh, then she brings a goldfish back to life by dropping it in, in, the, in the bowl. And then another goldfish bites it in half and then drops that in the bowl. And it's fine. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, she's just playing. She feels great. She has all this power. And then we get the cat who's walking on the piano and then singing along to what is apparently diegetic music this entire time. <laughs> it's like, you know, they took the various sounds of the cat meowing and then like pitch shifted it to fit the notes of the song <laughs> as it's walking over the piano and the video's going forward and backwards so the cat's walking backwards. And, oh yes, yeah. I remember that part. <laughs> But meanwhile, Gorgeous is upstairs. Yes. Again, being taken over by her aunt, she is looking through all her stuff, and then she starts to see in the mirror that she's got vampire teeth, mm -hmm. and then the mirror breaks. And then her face breaks. Yes, but she also, like, the, her reflection starts to change, right? As if yeah. she's shape-shifting. So Into the aunt a little bit. And exactly. Where she, you know, it's her. It's her aunt. It's her it's vampire teeth. It's a broken mirror. It's lipstick on her mouth. You think that this might be like the changing point where just this very close up shot of the sensual, you know, putting on this lipstick. And at that point, she becomes a lipstick witch. <laughs> but, a, but basically possessed. Taken yeah. over. But then her, her face cracks like the mirror did. Mm -hmm. And then each piece falls off. This is like effects that you might see in the 80s on PBS or something yeah. like that. And her face falls off except for her eyes and mouth. And behind it is video of a fire. It's yes. great. And then her we see a shot from the side and her whole body is fire. It's fantastic. It's super cool. Yeah, just another example of really creative editing. And it just, again, like... A lot of this movie could be played without audio with like cool music over it just to have in the background if you wanted to have like a really cool thing going on at your party. Like some Pink Floyd. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It just, it's, it's, stand the visuals alone can hold this movie up. Agreed. Sweet ends up turning into a doll because mattresses attack her. Yeah. So, two, one thing happens it's the before best way that. I can describe that. <laughs> Melody's still playing piano and, Blanche will enchant the piano keys. 
as Melody is playing. And then, yes, Sweet is attacked by mattresses and pillows, looking for mattresses for them to sleep on. All these mattresses and pillows come down, and they're trying to find her. Fantasy is the one who seems to be most concerned. And they can't find her anywhere, but they find all of her clothes, her bra, and they're like, why did she strip? (laughs) And then they dig through the mattresses, and we see a naked doll, like the one that hypnotized her earlier. Mm -hmm. And... Sweet is gone now, unfortunately. Can we just call out that they also found her underwear and one of them smelled him? Oh, yeah. And I'm Uh like, is it normal to smell your friend's panties? Oh, she also said it smelled bad. Yeah. That was an interesting (laughs) choice. So she goes, I bet she's taking a bath, which is why they go to check on Gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why. I don't know. Yep. And the piano scene with the cat... It's just I, the, the, just a lot of the scenes with the piano are super super cool and creative, and they're going to get even better. Yes. in a moment here. The awesome piano scenes that Jesse's talking about have led to Melody basically being taken over by the house as well. But Gorgeous is full on being turned into the aunt who like pretend like it's weird. She goes to make a phone call. And when she picks it up, he's screaming. There's somebody screaming, like, help. Do you think that's supposed to be, like, the old people who have been murdered there? Like, their screams have been recorded? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that was supposed to be anybody in particular. But, yeah, we hear screams for help. And then she hangs it up and is like, "Eh, it's out of order. A lot of things are out of order in this place. But this is gorgeous saying it now. So we're like, oh. She is definitely turned. We also, as they're walking her down the stairs, they talk about how, oh, Mr. Togo is sure to show up soon. He's so silly driving his buggy. He acts like he's driving a plane and then gorgeous sort of like perks up hearing about that. Oh, plane. Yeah, because her husband was a pilot. The the aunt's husband was a pilot in the war. Never returned. Mm -hmm. And then gorgeous locks the girls inside and goes out and juggles with light. so true and it's not even good juggling it's just two balls of light that she's juggling with two balls i appreciated that when one came down and she had to put it in there it actually fell from one hand to the other (laughs) i appreciated that they took the time to do that but what happens to the girls when they're locked inside and they realize they can't get out what attacks the girls a mummy doll worst mummy i've ever seen this weird mummy (laughs) mannequin thing just sort of like tilts into view (laughs) and the girls all scream just dead weight it's (laughs) obviously like not even somebody in Uh costume it's just this dummy it was really good i think it's supposed to imply the doctor maybe or i don't know what the mummy is about it never comes back they they start to like rationalize everything they're like oh well, this is a college-educated woman who lives alone and she's in a wheelchair. Surely this place locks down on its own at night and that's why we can't get out. So step number one, find the ant and ask her to let us out. But they'll never find her. They never will. Because she's taken over gorgeous. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. While they're searching for the ant, they find Mac's hand and her ribbon in a jar, and then nobody mentions it again. Nope, that is true. (laughs) And they just listen to Melody play the piano. As one does. (laughs) And then we hear this, like, humming. 
and they think it's gorgeous upstairs, even though she's supposed to be outside, and they go looking for her. Meanwhile, Melody, what happens to her? Oh, the glory of mutilation by piano. (laughs) (laughs) She can't stop playing the piano. She can't stop playing the piano. And it turns into this, like, she's, like, in ecstasy, but she can't stop. And then it turns into the piano mutilating her and kind of closing in on her. And it severs her fingers. And it's all the meanwhile, again, this is one of those, like, a little epileptic, like, editing sequences where it's just lots of flashing colors. The, like, her the severed fingers have, like, this animated, like, super fake-looking stump. She's looking at them. She then gets consumed by the piano and disembodied and dismembered by the piano. And then all of her body parts are, like, floating around, yep. dancing around. You can even tell, like, there's the torso. You can even tell that what they did is they wrapped her chest and her waist uh-huh. with, like, whatever material they needed to. And then just filmed her her torso. And then that's what's moving around. And they did that to all of her body parts. And then animated them in different places. And she doesn't fun. seem too put out. No. She seems okay with it. <laughs> she seems pretty happy about it after she's died. Yeah, she seems fine. Wait, because at that point, they're no longer themselves. It's They've all been taken over by the house or by the witch. Now, Jesse, have mm-hmm. you ever seen... Oh, God, it's a New Year's scary movie. I'm sure you've not, but maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you know the one I'm talking about? It's a New Year's scary movie from, like, 1980. Uh, in England, the one where they're at the hotel on the island. It's the summertime and ends oh, up being New Year's. Yes, we did that. Yes, Bloody New Year. I definitely have not seen it. Okay, so Bloody New Year is a wacky, bizarre horror movie. Did this make you think of that at all, Chris? I feel like they saw this movie and took a lot from it. Yeah, well, this Bloody New Year came out 10 years later, but Bloody New Year is a lot of, you know, that's 80s camp. This is like a completely different beast, I feel. Okay, so never mind. Apparently, Chris does not agree with me. No, I mean, I see where you're coming from, (laughs) but that feels like an 80s thing. This feels like a, it feels very 70s and very Japanese. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just. But I do see where you're coming from. I also felt like Night of the Night of the Demons took a lot from this movie. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Have you ever seen that? No. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I know. I'm disappointing. No, you are not. <laughs> so who's left? Who has not been enchanted or eaten by a piano <laughs> or had their head down a well or turned into a doll? There's only two people left. We've got Prof. And sweet, right? No, sweet Kung disappeared. Kung fu. Kung fu. And so they go they go looking for gorgeous. Kung fu finds gorgeous, and I remember you guys being like, no, don't follow her, don't follow her. <laughs> and she doesn't. Instead, she sees this weird sort of gear mechanism, like it's part mm-hmm. of a clock. Mm-hmm. And then she sees sweet inside of that. And then it starts bleeding. And then Prof shows up and just sees all the blood. So Prof never sees sweet. But sometimes it starts with like green liquid and all these different color liquids. And then it's like, okay, this is clearly blood. But it looked very cool because it was like 
gears behind a pane of glass, almost yeah. like this steampunk aesthetic. Obviously, it's not steampunk, but just the gears of the old clock Yeah, with her face in there with all of these just running colors. It was really cool. We forgot one other person who still hasn't been enchanted, but has passed out. Fantasy. Right. Mm. Fantasy is downstairs, passed out. And so Kung Fu and Prof come downstairs, see her passed out, and Melody's fingers are playing the piano. That was a good part. That was a high, <laughs> that was a high moment for me in the, the movie. It was a lot of fun. Did you mention the part where when she's being eaten by the piano, she looks at her own legs and says, oh, that's naughty. Well, yeah, because the camera <laughs> shot is like an upskirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. She doesn't seem too put out. No, no. But yeah, when the fingers are playing the piano, that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So they find the journal of the ant. The mm-hmm. ant, yeah. And while they are reading it, what pops out at them? It's Gorgeous's face, like Pennywise in the It remake. You know when his oh head pops God, out of the that's thing? That's what it made you think of? Yes. It made me think of Poltergeist. Oh, when with the, the demon head the comes demon out? Comes yeah, very out. much so. But again, but this comes before all of those. Yes. Chronologically, though. And then. And then we're just seeing, it's just a wall there. It's not like a door that it comes out of or anything. It just comes out of the wall. And they're like, holy shit. And then they get like facial features, including huge lips, which yes. somebody says. <laughs> yes. Oh, so good. Again, bad blue screen. Uh-huh. <laughs> really bad kind of Rocky Horror Picture Show, huge lips. And the fact that they just say verbatim, huge lips. Yep. We're just as confused. When Gorgeous is talking to them as a giant head. She explains that she is now in her aunt's world. Yes. And that her aunt's body lived on after she died. So it is a zombie situation. Jesse called her a zombie earlier in the film. And it's like, no, it's just a witch situation. But you're right. It is a zombie situation. But she says, just let me eat you. <laughs> Which I so thought was good. very funny. Yeah, it's a it's a you know modest request. <laughs> yeah, when when we first started watching and they arrived to the place, I just was thinking this maybe her aunt is a ghost, maybe she's not alive, maybe maybe she is a witch. I don't know. They're like some like some sort of not zombie in the traditional sense of zombie, but something zombie esque. She and needs to eat flesh. Exactly, yeah. and that's where we got. Mm-hmm. And then we get her gorgeous as a ghost bride and her she's she's kind of a ghost here. She's not like human at this point and she's also the aunt at the same time because the aunt was never able to actually be a bride. So the only time she's ever able to wear this bride's costume is these moments. Mm-hmm. And so Kung Fu is like fuck you crazy ghost. <laughs> Piss off, ghost. Yeah. <laughs> and gets into a kung fu fight with the ghost bride gorgeous. And then when the ghost bride disappears, she gets attacked and electrocuted by this lamp in the ceiling. Super disappointing when kung fu dies. And she puts up a good fight. She really she does. Doesn't she doesn't stop it. fighting. No. She dies. <laughs> she is just legs at yeah. one point yeah. and she continues to fight <laughs> continues to fight they figured out that all this power is coming from the cat i guess and there's a painting of the cat oh, on the wall so and so her legs come flying out of this lamp and kick the painting open 
and like blood starts gushing out of the cat's mouth on this painting. Floods the house. And flooding the house. And these floor panels start floating under this blood that's coming out of this cat mouth painting. And only people left are Professor and Fantasy. And they're floating on this floorboard. Mm-hmm. Cut to Togo showing up at the watermelon cellar. That's right. And the watermelon seller is like, you want some watermelon? And he's like, no, I want some bananas, which causes the watermelon seller to disappear. He turns into bones. That's right. And then his head, his skull just kind of floats there for a little bit. And Togo, having seen this, goes catatonic and just starts repeating the word bananas over and over again, gets into his car, and then cut away. So, Prof is the next to go, unfortunately, because she's pretty cool, too. She is. Didn't she basically meet at the bottom of, or that was fantasy, at the bottom of the stairwell? Meeting that gorgeous. was fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, so Prof loses her glasses in the blood and mm-hmm. kind of falls into it. Mm-hmm. Ah, and then she's, like, twirling around in the blood... Uh huh. She's just this nubile little thing writhing around in the blood, and mm-hmm. we're watching it. And this was uh, specifically a video, mm-hmm. not film effect. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first ones in Japanese cinema, apparently. Very cool. And so now only fantasy is left. It's kind of a bummer. And she sees Gorgeous. This is the moment that you're talking about there. Still dressed as the bride, comes downstairs to meet her at the, bo- at the foot of the stairs. But it's really actually the aunt... And then Fantasy falls asleep on her naked tits and calls her mama. Oh, yep. yeah. I remember that now. And then Gorgeous's eyes flash like the cats. But we're not done because the stepmom has to show up. Remember when she said she wanted to come up and talk to her one-on-one? Now she's showing up and she feels great. She's feeling good. She's feeling herself. Yeah. Well, she's always feeling herself. A hundred percent. Cue, you know, pseudo stepmom. Coming in with the wind blowing through her hair. The scarf is trailing in the wind. It's amazing because you don't see anything else moving around her. So there's clearly a a fan (laughs) right on her. And she appears to be floating through the air at one point. Yes. (laughs) So good. But she won't make it either. She'll catch on fire. (laughs) Well, she does show up. This is where she sees that Togo turned into bananas, and there's no mention of it. Nope. She's just like, there's a bunch of bananas in this car. (laughs) She's moving on. Yes. And yes, she sees Gorgeous dressed up like the bride, and then Gorgeous just looks at her long enough, and her head bursts into flames. (laughs) She also says that her friends will wake up and be hungry. That's right. So I guess they didn't die? I guess they get to be zombies too? I don't know. Are they part of the house now? Right. Who is that a line to like to trigger that like maternal instinct? Who knows? And a- know. apparently, cannot confirm this, but apparently this was also a very successful manga and a radio drama mm. that they wanted to make like spin off on this. And those came out before the movie actually did because they couldn't find a director. And Obayashi, the director of this movie, who they eventually hired, is the one who did those. And they didn't want him as the director, but he did those. And when those were successful, they're like, fine, we'll let you direct this movie. They being Toho, the Godzilla folks. So that's how this this whole movie came about. And you could blame his 10-year-old daughter, who apparently came up with a lot of the weird ideas. Oh, I love that. That comes through. I think that totally comes through because of... 
again, this being so wacky. Uh-huh. Yes. At, at points, like to the extreme. The inspiring idea is the first idea she gave him is about a girl who gets eaten by her mirror. Aw, that's <laughs> really cute. <laughs> so, I mean, we know we've talked about this a lot. I mean, that's the end of the movie right there. Oh, and we get an end credit sequence. With a big tongue coming out of the house and all the girls show up and pose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a TV show. Kind of had this like, what's the uh, yellow submarine vibe. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But what do you guys think of the movie in general? What are your last thoughts? Just three little quick short notes. I just want to say this. Two things about the witch herself. At one point she says that she speaks to her furniture. Which I liked. Well, she talks to the stove and the stove goes... Burp, burp, burp. Yes! <laughs> she also says the bright sunlight frightens her. I guess that's supposed to be like vampirism mm. mixed with zombies. Yeah. That's right. Mixed with witches. They do hint at the vampire thing with the vampire teeth. Mm-hmm. But no drinking blood or anything. Well, I guess, except for Prof, who accidentally yeah. drinks blood. And one last thing that we forgot to mention. At one point... I think it's Kung Fu, like, opens up a door that they can't open, and out pops mice. <laughs> oh, it, yes! This and is they before everything's gone them. crazy. They're just on them, and they're like, oh, no, there's mice on us. <laughs> and one of the girls is like, oh, there's a mi- mouse on you. <laughs> but they're definitely not mice. And they're then, way too big. <laughs> and then they're they're like rats. Yeah. And then one of the girls says to that one, oh, you got one on you, too, and it's hanging from her necklace, and then she freaks out. <laughs> What a weird moment. All of it, the whole time. Yes, all of it was weird. And it was a lot of fun. It was super fun. Do you have any other notes you'd never got a chance to get to? No. Other general thoughts about it? Oh, I mean, I think it's just, it is one of the most strange things. I, I think I really align with what you were saying, Chris, of just, it's one of the strangest things visually I've seen that didn't annoy me. Mm-hmm. Or just fi- feel banal. <laughs> So I would, I loved it. I would totally watch it again to try to catch more things because it's over, it's overstimulating. Yeah. In a good way, like in a fun way. See, I really enjoyed it. I really did. But it would be a while before I could sit down and watch it again. Valid. Nope. I could watch it again tonight. Nope. (laughs) I mean, we watched it today (laughs) and I could watch it again tonight. It's really good. This is the sort of thing that I would tell my buddies to watch. And apparently, we like um, this seems like it's right up my alley and it's absolutely the sort of thing that the guys would watch together. We watched all this weird shit and I couldn't figure out for the life of me why we had never seen it. Apparently, it never came here mm-hmm. yeah. until 09. Yep. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And I guess that, well, that explains it. I'd only heard vague rumblings about how the movie House from Japan is really great and you should watch it. Don't look anything up. That's like all I knew. <laughs> and it was. The one other thing I'll say that is just, it reinforced that maybe I should uh, watch more strange films from Japan in the 70s. Because if I recall, one of my favorite movies, which is out there also is, I believe, from the 70s in Japan, from Japan, called Belladonna of Sadness, which is uh, an animated film that is extremely psychedelic with some acid jazz and some very amazing music. The But it's totally different, but also similar in that it is so out there and extreme. But the, yeah, 
the artwork. You, just a, a plug for Belladonna of Sadness. You should watch it. If you like Art Nouveau and watercolor and really psychedelic jazz music, you should see it. But uh, trigger warning, it's definitely a little rapey, but Satan is a penis, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Satan it is, is from a penis. 1973. So. Satan is literally a penis. It's great. And she gets re- revenge and basically kills a bunch of people. But Satan is rapey and he is a, uh, an anthropomorphized penis. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Lots of weirdness. And we love it. <laughs> so what do you guys think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I'm going to I mean, it, de- it could go either way. If they were me, I would say like 85 I'm going to guess like a 79. Has a 90%. Holy crap. I can see it. House is a gleefully demented collage of grand guignol, guignol, guignol guffaws and bizarre sequences. Oh, genial? No. Guignol. Guignol. Oh, wow. Uh, G-U-I-G-N-O-L. Although they misspell it here on Rotten Tomatoes. They spell it guignol. Oh, wow. What does it mean? It means like a theater puppet or a fool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No Metacritic, no cinema score. Do you think that 90 is overrated or underrated? I'd say a little overrated. I'd say it's just mildly, mildly overrated, but not by much, because it it is really fun, and I can't think of anything out there that's like it that's not obnoxious. So what would you give it? What would I give it? Yeah, if you had to rate it 1 to 100. I would say it's 85. Kelsey? I will give it an 81. Well, I liked it a lot more than you ladies did. I'm giving it a straight 90. I think that's a great score. I really, really loved this movie. It felt like it was made for me. (laughs) Six years before I was born. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Maybe just a little too weird, though. That's what made it so good. (laughs) The floating head bites her butt. (laughs) With the shitty blue screen. Togo turns into bananas (laughs) for no reason. There's a cat on a plane with a nun next to it. Uh huh. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. The watermelon dude freaked out when he heard the word bananas. (laughs) Is that like a thing? He, he literally turned into a skeleton. The skeleton dancing in the periphery in most Constantly. scenes. <laughs> just, just dancing. Because so the music is happening. Melody is playing the music so much of the movie. And every time it shows her play, just this dancing skeleton in the background. <laughs> Never commented, remarked upon. Well, at one point, the witch dances with the skeleton. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's when she was dancing up in the rafters, <laughs> holding her shoes. So you knew she was having a good time on that dance floor. The edit, I mean, the edits are so good. Just the effects are really cool. Yep. All right. That is 1977's House. Trust me, we cannot spoil this movie for you. If what we said sounded interesting and you hadn't seen it, you can still watch it and it will be just as baffling. <laughs> There's just so much in there that we probably were only able to glean a, a certain amount. And it's so hard to describe. So, yeah, give it a watch. <laughs> And that uh, brings us to our next movie, 2019's Midsummer, written and directed by Ari Aster, who we last had on the show when we talked about Hereditary. Starring Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, Wilhelm Blomgren, William Jackson Harper, and Will Poulter. 
What is Midsummer about, Jess? Midsummer follows the story of a really shitty relationship that's really cringy to watch and very real, and how it continues to devolve after the couple goes to Sweden with some friends on a commune and all of the insanity that ensues. The movie is available with a subscription to Prime and Canopy. You can rent it for $3.80 on Amazon. There's that price point again, probably because Hereditary is $4.20, I bet. <laughs> $4 on Apple, Vudu, and DirecTV, and up to $6 from there on other services. You can buy it for $15 on most services, but it's $13 on DirecTV for some reason. Now, before we get into the should you watch question, there are two versions of this movie. There's the original cut, which was going to be an NC-17, and then Ari Aster took out 20-something minutes in order to cut it down to an R rating. And so now we have two different versions. There's the theatrical release that you can find in all the ways I said earlier. And then there's the director's cut, which, as far as I'm aware, if you want to stream it, you can go to A24's website and stream it from them. I'm sure you still have to pay for it. Or if you have the Apple version, the iTunes version, go into the extras and you can watch the director's cut that's what we did this time if you've been following us on twitter for a very long time we did live tweet the first time we watched this movie and we asked the question should we watch the directors or the theatrical we watched the theatrical then when we saw it for the first time and we said if we ever covered it on the show we would watch the director's cut so that's what we did it's almost three hours long it's two hours and 50 minutes or something like that so just so you know that's the version that we watched. Should people watch Midsummer? Twice. Yes. Yes. I think this movie held up just as much on the second viewing. And even though I didn't notice that there were new things in this version, it did not feel one second longer than the theatrical cut. A hundred percent. I highly recommend you watch the director's cut because it will change a lot of things. For me, it changed the context of a lot of things, and I feel like it more aptly shows what the director was trying to say. I just want more Ari Aster in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people talk about how, oh, the big difference was he was trying to get down from an NC-17, so he cut out all the gore. There's still gore enough in the theatrical cut. It doesn't really feel like this version is more gory. Not no. really. I mean, we get to see what happens to a couple of the bodies that we didn't get to see in the original cut, but other than that, I, I wouldn't say there was gore. I would say it's more, it's more relationship mm -hmm. and psychological shit that he took out i yeah. will try to keep up with the different scenes so i can point out when it's a director's cut scene so you can take our advice or leave it when we get back we will talk about 2019's midsummer i told you that i want to go to that festival in sweden no you said it would be cool to go yeah and then i got the opportunity and i decided Look, to I don't do mind it you going i just wish you would have told me that's all dude she needs a therapist You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for, like, a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? Babe, what's happening? Danny. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. 
Welcome and happy midsummer. Skoll! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. All right, Jess, get us started. How does Midsummer begin? Painfully. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first we get a mural, and then that opens up like curtains. Exactly. And the mural kind of tells us things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Just that is that kind of Scandinavian folky aesthetic in, you know, that mural. The movie starts. And basically, we're meeting. This young woman who's in the throes of a really bad time, she's concerned about her sister who is not being responsive and has, you know, sent her a pretty bad email about everything being dark and that the parents are coming too, basically. Danny is her name, tries emailing her, calls her boyfriend who's out with his buddies They see her phone, you know, her name light up, and they already start busting his chops about basically just talking shit on her immediately, you know, and how much drama she is, and how she doesn't even like sex. This might have been before or after the call, but regardless, they're talking shit on her. They answer. They exchange. She, you know, expresses concern for her sister. She's bipolar. She's, you know, pulled things like this in the past, but usually she's able to reach her. Her boyfriend basically trivializes all of her concern and tries to blow her off, clearly because he wants to get off the phone and neutralize the situation and defuse her trauma. Yes, but it is explained that this happens often. Regardless... If you have someone in your life that you know is really unstable, you can relate to this where like sometimes when you know, you know there's something really wrong and when somebody trivializes it, it's exhausting and he's not wrong in that it happens often, but you know, some things are are foreboding enough to warrant concern and this was definitely one of those cases. Well, it ends up being that, but What she both explains and he explains is that, I mean, she is talking to her friend over the phone and talking to her friend explaining that what if I'm too, I've got too much baggage, which, you know, her sister and the whole situation. And now, okay, they've been together for four years, which later on is going to be kind of 
pushed in their face a little bit because this other gr- this other couple that's been only dating for a year is already engaged. So the question is, you know, what the fuck is this guy doing that they're not already engaged if they have been together for four years? But we all know that he kind of wants out of the relationship. Even she knows that. There's even a part where if you watch the extended cut, she begs him to stay. He very obviously wants to leave, and then he lies. Now, I'm not saying that he's a good person, and he lies and says, oh, I was going to be romantic and ask you to go to Scandinavia with me, which we all know he wasn't going to do. But I think that they both understand that he is not a good enough guy who is willing to deal, like she said, with all of this emotional baggage. And if she understands that, why does she want to be in this relationship? Because she doesn't want to be alone. Well, to back us up to what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward and basically she is correct. And, you know, she probably had a welfare check sent o- over to her parents' house. And it is incredible. The shot is beautiful. The You see the firefighters get out of their truck, and it's this disorienting kind of flipped camera angle that starts mm-hmm. to move and t- spiral as if you're, like, coming to and you're disoriented as well. Goes up into the house following them from the garage where there's this hose snaking through the house. Two hoses two for two hoses. cars. That's right. Two cars. My bad. And you also see the the parents first sleeping, looking peaceful as like a cutaway for a B-roll as she's kind of freaking out before they arrive. One hose is going into the parents' room, and I believe that the it was there was like tape. Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, there was something preventing the air from leaving the room. Exactly. So she, and a hose going under the door. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and then the other hose goes into the the sister's room where she has affixed the hose directly into her mouth and you see just her opaque eyes and some vomit on her chest and just looking like a rag doll sitting on the floor. And it's just, it's so startling. It's not something you see that, at least I haven't seen before in a film and it was very realistic. Then you cut back to Danny and her boyfriend and sure enough, he, you know, she's screaming and the it, very Tony Collette moment where it's yes. like the wailing is so guttural and real. Just excellent acting. And then the camera doesn't, it's not when things go upside down. No, no, no. I'm getting ahead of myself mm-hmm. with like camera angles. But anyway... And But it just descends up and pans up to this, like, to the window. He's holding her. She's rocking and wailing. And he's trying to console her, but it looks pretty vacant on his part Mm -hmm. and resigned and unavailable. Yeah, if he was going to break up with her, he certainly can't do that now. Exactly. Pans up to the window. There's snow falling down and it's bleak outside. And then there's just, like, this crescendo of music. And that's the intro credits. Yes, so all of that happens, and then we cut to after all this happens, and I'm not sure how much time has passed, maybe a couple days, but Danny is laying down, and there is a picture behind her. Mm-hmm. I to look this up. Oh, yeah. I did. Of a giant bear and a little girl in a crown. 
Foreshadowing. Yes, but my my childhood memories told me that this is from a little kid's book. So, <laughs> this is a painting called uh, Stucker's Lilla Bassa by Swedish painter John Bauer, who was known for depicting folklore, mm-hmm. fairy tales, Swedish nature, that sort of thing. This is specifically a shot from something called Oskulden's Wandering, The Walk of Innocence by Helena Nieblom, which is apparently some Swedish saga fantasy thing. So it is a book. Yeah, but it, I, I don't know if you've ever read it. I don't think I have, but uh-huh. something yes. about that memory, I mean, that picture evoked a memory of a book. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. But yes. It is definitely foreshadowing. A little girl in a, in a crown, crown yeah. looks uh-huh. at a bear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're crouched down, so they're looking at each other from the same perspective. Poor Little Bear is the name of that painting. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what Stalker's Little Bossa means. Mm. So, you know, it's daytime now. And, you know, the, the artwork, like you mentioned, Kel's below her bed. And uh, it's like all of it is so cringy and so painful, so deeply painful and realistic. He walks in the room and he's like, oh, are you sleeping something to that effect? I was I was thinking about going out to this party just for 45 minutes, you know, just really short. Clearly being like, I don't want to be around you. Yeah. And I want an excuse to get away from you. Uh-huh. And she says, I wasn't sleeping anyway. And he's like, oh, yeah, totally fine. Yeah, so now we're in the house party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where we hear in the extended cut that we don't hear in the theatrical cut where Josh says, I'm doing my research on European midsummer traditions. These guys are just tagging along. Yes, there is a lot more context as to why they are going in the extended cut. Really? Because don't they, in the theatrical cut, they're all master's students, and one of them says that he's doing his master's, or like, to come, oh, is it that he just says, come to my family's commune? But one of them says that they're studying. Well, yeah, you yeah. know th- that they're all anthropology students. You know that he's going to do th- his thesis on it. But a lot of that information comes later in the film. Mm-hmm. But yeah. in this one, we're told up front why they're going, who, what their relationships are to each other. And it just makes it really clear from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Josh wants to write his thesis not just on this commune, but on all midsummer practices mm-hmm. of Europe. Mm-hmm. And actually, he's going to not just Scandinavia he's a- or Sweden. He's also going to England, and he's also going Germany is where Germany. he's going next after this mm-hmm. commune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, all this context and information is there. Is it necessary? No. But it does help. Yeah, it adds a little bit of context. It also explains very clearly, and again, in the theatrical cut, Josh does say to Christian, the boyfriend, you need to focus on your thesis, and then later- You don't even know what you're going to write about yet. Right, and then later he decides he's going to write it about this. But we get more information in the extended cut that he's actually interested in this shit too, originally- She's like, isn't this what you're going to write about in your thesis? And he goes, well, I haven't really decided yet. But because she says that, we are then aware he was already interested in this stuff. It's not just because he goes to the commune. Right. Yes. But there's two reasons why they go to this commune specifically, why they're taking the trip at all and why they go here specifically. They're taking the trip at all just because 
they want to go as a guy's trip mm -hmm. because Josh is going to go anyway. And they're all going to go to this specific place because Pele is from this commune and he is in America and he meets these students and he wants to show them where he's from. Can we talk about the scene where she finds out about this? Trip? Said trip? <laughs> yeah, it's at this party where she hears about it for the first time, and then he claims, I wasn't going to go anyway. Which is bullshit. Yes. yes. And it's very painful to watch. Yes. Because it's extremely passive-aggressive, and it's in an entire group of people, and it's humiliating for her, being put on the spot that her partner of four years was thinking of taking an international trip with no... Notice right after she has a huge loss in her life mm -hmm. and him acting all casual and dismissive and then being passive aggressive about not even thinking that he would go anyway, kind of making her look horrible. It's just, it's all horrible. Yeah, they have an really argument bad. about this later and she says that it's not that you're going. Because he yeah. says something like, you knew I always wanted to, to to go to Europe or whatever. And she's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I know. It's not that you're going. I don't care that you're going. Yeah. I care that this is how I found out right before you go. Right. And it's this conversation that I feel completely changes everything I felt about this male character. Mm -hmm. he, this conversation completely makes him into a total asshole. And I... Totally, like, I needed that conversation mm -hmm. to feel like, no, he is. He's a terrible person. Because mm -hmm. this is when, absolutely, he gaslights her. He makes mm -hmm. her feel bad. But because that's not in the theatrical cut, I didn't get as much hatred towards this A guy. little bit of the argument yeah. is the fact that he says, oh, I was always going to ask you to join. Yep. That's in the theatrical cut. Mm -hmm. But there's more context here where she actually starts apologizing that's, to him. Yes. That's the worst part for mm -hmm. me. Yes. Where it's like, and I've totally been there, like in a really bad relationship that I've been, you know, I'm totally last on the list to this person mm -hmm. and then they do something really like horrible and traumatizing to me and then I would end up apologizing and I think a lot of people can relate to that and just the desperation of being this is the last thing she has and it's kind of shitty and she doesn't want to give it up but have apologizing to him while he's the one who is really trying to just completely discard her in this time is really painful to watch because it's so well written and well acted. Now, you might be thinking, so are all the men just terrible people? And in the end, yes, they yeah, all are. Yeah. And you might be thinking, well, okay, so this movie is sexist. Well, no, not really, because by the end, you don't really like Danny anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can see where you're coming from. We were talking about this a little bit off mic, but it feels like the director's cut provides the additional context necessary to fully understand that the movie is not saying good for Danny. He deserves to die. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what the movie's saying. Because I'm apparently the only idiot in this room that was wondering if that was what the movie was trying to say. I think there's a lot there. You know, it's not just one thing. That's, you know, part of it. Maybe it was good for her. He's what? still... <laughs> what? Just saying. She is happy that she murdered people. <laughs> she didn't. It just came to fruition. She anyway. chose him. Anyway, yeah, she we're, did we're, choose we're getting him. way ahead of, yeah, yeah, of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So 
he's going to continue lying, Christian, or because, of course... (laughs) Christian. Christian. Uh-huh. Oh, it was so distracting. Christian! It's it like the, the one British thing she, thing she do. does. Christian. And no one <laughs> thought to correct her. Christian. Oh, I didn't know she was British. She is British. That explains it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just constantly, just every time. Christian. Christian. No one else calls him Christian. Have you not noticed that actress? No, well, Pele says Christian. Oh, well, because yeah, but he's, he's from Swedish. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Was very distracting. I was just like, Christine's you do such a good American accent. She really does. She's an incredible actress. Just at the, I mean, everyone does a great job in this movie. So he, they're all getting ready to go, and Christian is going to continue to lie. They're all at this place except for Danny, and then Danny shows up, and oh yeah, my girlfriend's coming up. And they're like, okay, whatever, and and then he tells them. Um, I invited Danny to come to Sweden. So you guys know. She's not actually going to come, but I invited her just to not make it weird. You invited her Mm -hmm. to... But she's not coming. She doesn't want to? I invited her and she accepted, but she's not actually coming to Sweden. Okay. Guys, you know what she's been going through. Yeah, no, dude, I just, I, I uh, thought you were saying. Yeah, dude, nobody minds. Thought you were saying something else, that's all. Okay, that's great. And then just so we're clear, you guys told me to invite her and you all know that she's coming. Agreed? Yep. Jesus Christ, Christian. Just fucking say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He keeps trying to delay uncomfortable situations by not talking about them. Yep. And then that gets him into even more trouble because, of course, she's going. It's, yeah, it it feels all very real mm-hmm. and extremely uncomfortably so. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's what this director is good at doing. Yes. There's only one person that even seems jazzed in this entire group about Danny going. <laughs> because obviously Christian's not... Mark is pissed off. Oh, yeah. We haven't really talked about Mark yet. Mark is... Why don't we introduce all the friends? Yeah. So we've been talking about Josh. He's the one that's doing the thesis on Midsummer May Day. I guess... Rituals. Midsummer Rituals. Yeah. But here's the thing about him. You might be thinking, well, he's just a scholar. Who cares? He's also a jerk. He is extremely opportunistic, as Danny will Mm -hmm. describe him. And he doesn't care about these cultures. He only wants fame yes. and accolades. And he is played by William Jackson Harper from The Good Place. And then we have Marcus or Mark? Mark, played by Will Poulter. Oh, God, he is so, ugh, not my favorite character. Constantly vaping. Yeah, he, so, yeah so he is purely just a dick and I mean, you again, you might be thinking, well, what's with these asshole people? Well, Pele picked these people on purpose. He specifically looked for assholes that he did, wouldn't feel guilty about sacrificing. Yeah, because the intention is you bring the outsiders in and they are going to die. Mm-hmm. Now, they only do this every 90 years, which makes it more believable. Uh-huh. Right, that's true. But at the same time... That's four people that just disappeared in the same area. If those parents got together, which anyone who's ever fucking watched 
Unsolved Mysteries mm-hmm. knows that they do. But he is They're going to go looking. He is for these very people. careful to tell them nothing about oh, yeah. anything true. until they get there. That yes. is true. Yes. But they're going to go looking. So then we have Mark, we have Josh, we have Christian, and we have Pele. Pele, yeah. Yeah, and he's the, the, the home, homeboy uh, from from uh, the stomping grounds. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> Who's very excited that you're going to see my home village. Yeah, well, Danny's coming. He's like, I'm actually really happy that you're coming. Yes, very excited that Danny is going to come. So, I mean. Also that it's her birthday coming up. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, it's going to be my birthday when we arrive. Yeah. So there's a little bit of like, I mean, I guess you could just chalk it up to he was lucky and everything worked out. But there's a little bit of almost fortune telling going on here that he knows how everything is going to play out. Well, he feels totally confident in his decisions about who he brings and what he's going to sure, do with these people. But in Josh's anthropology research where he talks to one of the elders and he says like how do you sustain a population of this size the elder says well occasionally cousins are allowed mm-hmm. to marry but that's it and occasionally we need to bring in outsiders and yeah. so he's excited that she might be beca- she's not needed for any of this stuff no. i don't think he's projecting forward what's going to happen to her she's not necessary for the plan he has to actually take place. But he's excited to bring in a new breeder. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Now, if you guys are thinking, this sure sounds a lot like the Wicker Man, you are totally correct. I would have absolutely put the Wicker Man with this if we hadn't already watched the god-awful remake. <laughs> for the show. The totally awesome remake? Have you seen it? <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Have yeah. you seen the original? I'm ashamed to say that I haven't. It's very good. You'd like it. Yeah, it's on my list. I know. I have a lot to catch up with. (laughs) We get a cool transition here because he expresses his sympathy for her at the loss of her family. He's like, I kind of actually know a little bit about what you're going through because I lost both of my parents at a young age. And she starts crying and getting up. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. He's actually, like, sensitive to her pain. Doesn't matter. It's brought something up in her. It's starting to well up. She's going to cry. She's like, I just have to go to the bathroom. And the camera kind of follows her above her. And as she walks into the door, she walks into what looks like a bathroom that's out of place. And it's actually the airplane bathroom. And that's how they do the transition where the camera goes over the wall and into this airplane bathroom. Now they're on the plane and they're on the, their way. And she's having a little bit of a fit in the bathroom. Yeah. So it's it's very good. I agree. One of a really smart edit. And then when she comes out of the bathroom, she's acting like everything's fine. So yes. what what's the metaphor that we get next? We see them in the plane, and then it shoots out of the plane, out into the turbulent air, showing you that everything seems smooth on yeah. the outside, but the truth is everything's going crazy. The camera inside the plane pans to a window, and you see this, the sky, the beautiful sky, and then it starts shaking because of turbulence on the plane. That's literally what's happening, yes. Mm-hmm. It's a metaphor, man. It's a metaphor. We get a little bit more in this version of their drive to the place. We get more of Mark just being a flat out annoying 
gross asshole. And we get more of Josh being a blatant asshole. At one point, somebody asks him, why do you have a Nazi handbook? And Pele explains he carries that around to piss me off because that's how my village learned the alphabet. Wow. (laughs) We also have another cool transition when they're in the car where... The camera is following the car on the road, and then it flips upside down as they go further into the forest, which yeah. is perfect. Mm-hmm. They've gone down the rabbit hole. Exactly. This is the moment where Danny asks Christian about his thesis, and this is only in the director's cut, where she asks him, what are you going to do your, your thesis on? And he says he doesn't have a topic yet, but probably something Scandinavian is what he tells her. Again, not context that you get in the theatrical cut. Mm-hmm. So they arrive. And take shrooms. Oh, my gosh. Seems yes. like a great idea. Well, you know, Danny hesitates. Her. This is another example of where a point of tension in the relationship that's so palpable and so uncomfortable is Pele introduce like it's this idyllic meadow and everything is pastel and soft colors and uh it feels very uh sound of music uh-huh. <laughs> and so you <laughs> so it's ca- you know it has this sense of peace and serenity you show up very communy feeling everyone's laid back he introduces everyone to his brother the brother offers the gang some mushrooms and everyone else around them is tripping as well. Christian is, you can tell he wants to do it, and they offer the mushrooms to Danny, but Danny is traumatized, and she is self-aware enough to know where she's at, and she had hesitation, and... She's like, I just need a little bit of a time to get settled. exactly. And what does Christian say? It's so uncomfortable. Oh, well... I guess then I'll wait, too. In front of everybody... Well, here's the stand-up thing he does. Okay. I commented on this when we were actually watching. This is the one thing that is very clearly good boyfriend stuff, which is, yes, after he kind of guilts her, Mm -hmm. well, I guess I won't do it now either. Like, you're not doing it, so now I can't do it. Like, little pouty baby thing. I don't think he said that yeah, way. yeah, well, but that's did. that's what's happening. But he yeah. was very kind about it. But actually. no, but what happens coming up here is the point when he's he turns to Mark and he's like, "You guys go ahead and and go on without us." Mm-hmm. And Mark gets upset and is like, "Come on, man! They'll be completely different trips." And he's like, "Well, then I guess you guys have to wait." I did not take that as him being a good girl, good boyfriend. I took him as that is a, t- a very classic case of throwing a woman under the bus and being like, oh, I guess I can't have fun. I'm going to wait for her. And it's like this virtue signaling of like, I'm not going to do it because she doesn't. We're not going to do it. But clearly he wants to. Everyone knows he wants to. Right. But it's more in the tone of how he dealt with Mark specifically, yeah. where he's like, it's up to you. You can do it if it's so if it's such a big deal that we need to have the same trip, then you're just going to have to wait. Mm-hmm. Like he he puts his foot down with Mark. 
Yeah, I still think it puts her in a bad light. That's I can absolutely me. see how that's the case. Yeah. If you're that girlfriend and you're like, why? I don't want all this focus. I just right. don't want to do it. Right. <laughs> I, I totally understand that. I do. But I don't know. If I wasn't ready to do it and my boyfriend was like, I'm willing to wait. Then I could. Then I would. Well, be like, that's Fuck the thing. He didn't friends. say I'm willing to wait. He's like, well, then I guess I won't do it either. Exactly, and and with all the context of how fraught their relationship is and how horrible they communicate. But and... it's all okay. Yes, it's all okay because exactly. Ingmar Pele's brother is like, you know what? They made a tea. If you, that's if you think not that why she didn't want to take it. Oh well, no. I mean, <laughs> it's just the if it'll be yeah, if it'll be easier for you because of all of that, she felt bad enough where she decided to dose herself even though she knew she wasn't going to have a good time because of everything we just went over. Uh-huh. So she drinks this tea and joins the party. And this is the first moment where we get to see something. So they're all tripping out, just laying on a hillside. It's nine o'clock at night, but the sun's still out, and Mark just cannot handle that. Oh, my God. This uh- <laughs> is so real. <laughs> this part is so real. And then Danny looks down at her hand... And the grass is growing through her hand. She sees a lot of things that like seem to be breathing and moving and wavy. And that, I believe, that felt very, very real. But when she actually saw grass growing out of her hand. The way, like, the tree is breathing very gently. It's, mm-hmm. Everything is so subtle. Except for the grass part. Super subtle and thusly very realistic. You don't see things that aren't there, typically, you know? But those are two things that are going to happen throughout the movie, mm-hmm. is as we get deeper and deeper into it, and Danny has more and more of a connection with these, this place and these people, her and nature start to merge more, mm-hmm. and she starts to notice and appreciate the life in the natural world. In, in those two ways, where everything's breathing and it's, like, merging with her. Mm-hmm. And just want to briefly touch on the how realistic it is when Mark is freaking out because <laughs> it's daylight because they're so far north in the summertime. And he's just, he's tripping and he's like, someone, he says, what time is it? Someone's like, it's nine o'clock. He's like, that's not okay. <laughs> I don't like that at all. I don't like <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, everybody lay down, lay down. And that is so true where it's like you start to feel a little shaky and it's like, okay, we all have to do the same thing. Uh-huh. Right now. <laughs> I don't want, like someone walks by, I don't want any new people. Oh yeah, the new people. <laughs> no new people. Yeah, new people are good, Mark. <laughs> but at the same time, Danny is not having a good trip either. And she thinks people are laughing at her. And yes. Ingmar is like, they, that's not possible. They're not laughing at you. Yes. <laughs> They've so. been laughing this entire time. Oh, we didn't mention. Ingmar brought two people as well. Simon and... Connie. Connie, yes, that's it. Now, we don't get the impression that these people are super awesome or anything, but they seem like perfectly normal. normal people. Yeah. What we kind of find out is that the reason he decided to bring these two is because he didn't get to have sex, basically. Yes, he dated Connie and things didn't work out. And the way they the two of them describe it is a little bit at odds. And now Simon is her new boyfriend, now fiance. Yeah. And so that's that's why Ingmar picks these two people to bring back home. Yeah, so even though Pele may have gone out and specifically picked dicks 
The other people don't necessarily do that. So let's keep that in mind. It's okay. Ingmar's going to die anyway. Danny ends up going off by herself. She goes to sleep. They wake up and they're walking to the town now. And they have a funny conversation, which I was like, I agree. I am with Mark on this one. Mark is like... Do they have ticks in Sweden? Sweden has a tick problem. What? No, they don't. Do they really? Actually, it is a big problem. Last summer, a record number of people got tick-borne encephalitis. What the fuck? Are you serious? Both my grandparents died from ticks. Had to give them a closed casket funeral. Okay, Josh, I actually have an uncle with Lyme. And believe me, if you ask him, it was not worth the pleasant picnic in the park. He's fucked. Apparently, that's... (laughs) A serious problem! It is, and they talk about it for a while, and you notice throughout the movie that now Mark is going to have his socks rolled up over his jeans. Oh, that's what you do to avoid ticks. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, apparently, that's an Ari Aster thing. Oh. Like, he has his own personal fear of insects. Yes! (laughs) Yes, so I totally was right there with him. They walk, they're walking into the town and they see some kids run by. And they ask, what are they playing? And they say, skin the fool. Why do they call it that? What's going to happen later, Jess? Oh, gosh, are we talking about Blood Eagle? No. No, skinning the fool. Skinning the fool. The The fool, who they put the jester's hat on, is Mark. And he gets skinned by they the end of this movie. They take his face off. That's right. So the implication is, is that this is a game, a folk game played by these children based on their real midsummer tradition of skinning the fool. Preparing them for what they're going to do. I mean, that's, that's I was just misplacing what <laughs> body it was, but that makes way more sense. <laughs> and now, yeah. Now, okay, so they only have this particular nine-day feast every 90 years, but they do do a midsummer celebration every year because they have pictures. The dance competition, the May Queen. Of the May Queen. All of that happens every year, but the big nine-day feast, and everything is based around the number nine. We're going to find out later that there are different phases of life. Zero to 18, which is a multiple of nine, is one phase. Spring and then summer is when you're an adult, but you're not ready to work yet. That's 18 to 36, which is another multiple of nine. And then you're at working age at 36. You come back from your what's effectively a rum springer from... When you go out to get the... Yes. But only, <laughs> well, only every this. 90 years. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then from 36 to... 54. You work. You you work. And then from 54 to 72, you're a mentor. mentor. And then Danny asks Pele, what happens when you turn 72? And he does a gesture of a finger across the throat, like, Mm -hmm. and then it's just like, ha, 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 ha. No, but really, what happens when you're 72? We never hear anything more at that moment. Right. Now, okay. Pretty quickly after that conversation, Josh will ask, what are we doing tomorrow? And... Pele will say an astuta, or however you say it. Atastupa. And Josh goes, for real? Mm Mm-hmm. And Pele goes, "Mm mm-hmm. It's pretty real. And he doesn't tell tell Danny or... Christian. Christian what that is. Now, the first time I saw this, my brain immediately went to him doing this gesture. I was like, are we going to see some people die tomorrow? And boy, do we. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For real. So this is based on a real thing that's probably a myth. Apparently, Iceland converted to Christianity before Sweden. 
And so Sweden was sort of the odd man out, still a little bit archaic. Pagan. Yeah, pagan. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so word is that they were basically painted as savages and things like that. And they would do things like the Atastupa, which wasn't actually real. Every single reference to the real quote unquote practice actually points back to an Icelandic story from the century where Iceland was Christian and Sweden was not. And so people think because there's no actual Swedish source for any of this stuff and it's during the period where Iceland was like, look at those savages, it's probably a myth. Well, notice that his name is Christian. Yes. Very much so. <laughs> and what ensues. <laughs> And we should just mention, just for visuals, like the dormitory that they're staying in, right? They're like staying in this dorm style building. This is where they talk about this ritual when they're settling into their bunks. And uh, it's very beautiful inside. And again, the just the aesthetic is carried through so well in this film of just these soft powder blue walls with the folk art on it. Oh, all yeah. Over. So beautiful, like murals and carvings. And so that was really beautiful. And then just also for to set the scene, when they arrive on the compound or commune, it is a compound of buildings. And just the, the architecture of these buildings and the composition of the camera are just incredible. There's one, all the buildings are black. One of them has an interesting, like, sloped roof that cut. So it's higher up pitched in the front, and it just pitches, it slopes all the way down to where the, the roof almost touches the ground in the back. So it has this kind of ramp like mm -hmm. silhouette, which is really beautiful. And then there's this yellow building that's in this just perfect triangle shape that's framed by trees, it stands out. It has tarps around it. It has tarps around it. And it's forbidden and it is to forbidden. go inside. Mm -hmm. Yes. Anyway, wanted to kind of paint a picture of what yes, it was like. Yes, this is there. where we're actually here. Yes. Oh, you know, before we get into deep into the Atastupa stuff, Christian forgot Danny's birthday. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, he did. And then he gets her a cake, and where did he get that cake from? No, I'm pretty sure Pele gave it to him. Remember when Pele Because Pele tells him, you didn't know that him? it's Danny's birthday. Danny's and he's like, oh, birthday. shit. I think he brought the cake uh -huh. for him to give to her. And Pele drew a picture of Danny, and it's kind of like intimate sort of thing, and it's pretty obvious that Pele is like into Danny. Wooing her. And he's like setting the stage for a romance at this point, partially because... He's of the mind that Christian's probably going to die. I, yeah, and in this version, like, he holds her hand at one point. And she goes, Christian could walk in at any moment. Uh -huh. And also, I don't think this is in the theatrical version. It might be. He kisses her when she wins. When she wins the May Queen? The May Queen. I don't think that was in the theatrical. I can't remember. I feel like it wasn't. But yes, I mean, the, and the, again, going back to the relationship dynamic of Pele... It's painful to watch because his subtle gestures are so significant in contrast to how unavailable Christian is to Danny. So that part breaks my heart to just see her receive mild attention and mild attentiveness to her feelings by somebody that's an acquaintance is so touching because her boyfriend is fucking trash 
<laughs> it's funny that you say that. That kind of reminded me of something that we skipped over, something very, very small. And I don't think it's in the theatrical cut. When they first arrive to the town, this dude comes up to welcome them. And he says, welcome to all of them. But when he specifically goes up to Danny, he says, welcome home. Oh. And that's something that Pele is constantly making her think of. Do you feel at home with him? Mm, Do you feel held by him? That part was so sad. Does he feel like home? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was in the theatrical cut. The the kiss was? Mm -hmm. Hmm. I also want to bring up, (laughs) sorry to delay us a little bit more, for the most part... The movie is not subtitled. Yes. Except for certain parts. And I kind of wish none of it was subtitled. I disagree. I'm actually with Chris on this because part of the story is them not knowing what's going on. Yes. Right? And I think that would increase the tension a little bit more, especially because sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And it seems arbitrary. And then when we do get it, it's like, hold your fire this high, no higher. It's like, okay, well, what's the significance of that? Was that really necessary to be subtitled when other things aren't? And so some of that stuff is I think they did it for audience members like me who, Mm -hmm. I get it. There are certain things they don't want us to know what they're saying. I understand that. But there's also, you make me sit here and listen to a bunch of people speaking a language I can't understand. You're going to make me mad. But could you imagine (laughs) all that language that you don't understand and then somebody just jumps off a cliff? Exactly. Yeah, but I'm watching a movie. But no, like... You're supposed to feel tense at this point. Yeah, and just the confusion, which they would be feeling themselves. You're in there. If if you didn't know what they were saying, you would be in the exact same position they are, and it would immerse you more into their headspace of what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. I don't understand what they're saying. And then something. I I agree. So, Atastupa, what is it? Okay. Well, bef- it's amazing, first of all. <laughs> it starts with a feast. And something that you'll notice throughout this movie is that they'll, they'll tuck in runes wherever they can in the design and the composition. So it, it's an overhead shot of this table that's in the shape of a rune. I don't know which one or what it means, but I know it was a rune (laughs) because of the angles and the way the tables were put together. It was very intentional. Yeah. It's the one that looks like an R. Yes. And it's on, it's one of the two runes on Danny's dress later. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, they basically share this meal. There's a very strange, it starts like, there's a theme that, as it goes throughout this movie that makes me think about like being in a hive and having these symbiotic, almost physiological relationships with the people around you. Cause these, you know, these elders rise at the table, they start to just make these resonant sounds, and then they do this little <sighs> sound for their mouth that mm-hmm. other people do. And it's, you know, some sort of sacramental thing. Then they're they're in these pale blue robes, the two elders, a, a man and a woman. They put them on some sort of, like, chairs that they pick up and carry. They take them over to this 
cliff, which is gorgeous. Every like the cliffs are it's very stylized. The cliffs are all washed out, mm-hmm. like almost this talc like feeling and like powdery white look. The ground is pretty white. There are some veins in the rock that have kind of this grayish blue, but they're very faint. Yeah. But pick up in the clothes of the elders. They go up to the top of these cliffs. You don't really know what's going on. One of them cuts the the hand of the other. They walk over to this stone with runes all over it, and they spread blood all the way going down, running it down vertically. And you just think you're like, okay, there's this is a blood ritual. There's mm-hmm. something fu- funny going on. What's next? And then I can't remember what was happening at the bottom, or like if there was some sort of incantation or or prayer or drumming. I can't recall. Danny reaches out and grabs onto Christian's arm because this woman starts walking up, and she just knows mm-hmm. she has this feeling in her stomach because uh, they she's had a sense of unease since she's been there. She had a bad mushroom trip. There's the shit is weird. They're staying in a dormitory, and now they're gathered around the bottom of a cliff, and this woman is walking to the edge of the cliff after cutting her hand and spreading her blood all over a rock. Her instinct is like, what the fuck is going to happen? And sure enough, this woman just low-key jumps off the cliff. Head first into the stone. Not head first. She goes face first. body first, like a like a. Uh, yeah, yeah. Block. I mean, I mean, not like pointing downwards, but like face first. She hits the rock face first mm-hmm. and bounces backwards, which is the way to do it, guys. And then we'll see that her face is completely smashed in. It's important because what happens next? The grabbing of the of the hand in this moment feels very real to me, because this is something that. Kelsey does in real life all the time. If we're watching something and any moment she's like, oh my God, are they really going to do what I think they're going to do? Like (laughs) that kind of emotion. She'll just like, we'll be laying in bed next to each other and watching something. And then she'll just like grab my arm like that. Exactly like that. It just felt, it felt so real. So sweet. (laughs) Things come full circle at the Atastupa with Kelsey and Chris. (laughs) 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 it's so realistic because there's practical effects and the foley that they used Mm -hmm. for when they hit the ground oh man very real super real it's just like a kind of muted thud it wasn't like a quentin tarantino blood spraying everywhere it was very realistic and just and more gruesome because of it. Yes, yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. Much more effective. A hundred percent. So the old man jumps off the cliff, but his mistake is he goes feet first. Uh-huh. What are you thinking? And his <laughs> legs break. His legs break. You see the compound fracture of the bone sticking through his leg. Now yeah. in the director's cut, you get more of this. Yes. yes. And, Longer I mean, shots and things like that. This guy loves to shock you with real. It's super Remember Hereditary? Yes. I told you, first time I watched Hereditary, I had my mouth open for like a full half hour before <laughs> I was like, oh my God, my mouth is still open. <laughs> From that moment. Yes. Which was also very real. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Super real. So, yes, he falls off and you see almost this gleeful nod sense of duty to somebody holding this sledgehammer, like wooden large sledgehammer. They walk over to him. He is like 
gurgling mm-hmm. to stay alive a- and screaming mm-hmm. and everyone starts to scream with him that's that's it and that's another example of i would love to dig into this later of like what you folks think of there's just multiple occasions where there's this almost extreme hive mind empathy where everyone is feeling the same thing at the same time or at least expressing it in in such a way that almost feels involuntary, like it's they're connected. What did I say, Kelsey, at this moment? Do you remember? I said, I think if my legs were shattered and I was screaming and then everyone else was screaming not as well, but with, with me, I think that would actually feel better. Right. Yeah, it's very collective, obviously. It's like there's something about it where I don't feel... Like, I, I feel like if I was to shatter my legs like that and I'd be screaming, it was be- it would be because I'm experiencing something that's novel and bad and I need to, like, get out what I'm feeling. Can you guys understand how important and huge this is? Please, somebody do something. If everyone else was experiencing that with me, mm-hmm. there's something cathartic about that. Yeah, and it wasn't screaming in the way of someone who sees a car crash on the side of the road and they happen to be there and it's this authentic scream. It's it's in unison. Wailing. It's very like, synchronized yeah. wailing. Uh-huh. But anyway, they walk over there with this giant wooden sledgehammer. And what do they do, Kells? They decide to smash his face, and it's <laughs> They don't decide. Real. It's part of the ritual. I They guess. were there prepared for this, and they take... <laughs> Turns. There's yes. two older men and two younger women. After he's already dead, they keep doing it. <laughs> the the one of the older men hands the mallet to another older man who does the first hit and completely caves his face in. Which we see. And then the two younger women follow up and do it as well. Which again is supposed to be in that everyone shares experiences. Now I understand what you guys are saying about it being cathartic. I feel that for the physical pain. Mm -hmm. But for emotional pain, if I'm crying and wailing because of something emotional, like it's not, like I get it for physical pain. I totally do. If I'm in the moment and I'm in lots and lots of pain and you guys couldn't do anything to help me, yeah, you guys screaming with me might make me feel better. But if I'm just sitting there like upset about something from an emotional standpoint, what we get later with Danny. Yes, we do. I don't need or want you to be crying along with Which me. Which is why it's disturbing. But it's not disturbing to her. It's calming well, to her. I think the fact that it is maybe a little bit calming might also be disturbing. Yes, exactly. From the perspective of we aren't supposed to agree exactly. with Exactly. We're people, not supposed to yes. feel what Danny feels by the end of this movie. And that was hard But for we do need to, to feel that she is changing and she is becoming more in tune with this culture right. and what it is they do mm-hmm. and how they operate, which is really interesting because at this moment right here, she is fucking done. <laughs> Fuck this place. After hearing more very realistic foleying of someone's face getting smashed in, they the couple that came Yeah, Simon and Connie. Mm-hmm. They freak the fuck out. Yes, they are flipping their shit. Now, Danny is upset too, but she's not screaming like they are because she's kind of more in shock than they are. Something really quick I want to bring up. Later on, this does not have the scary effect on the men. The men are like charged by this. Like, oh my God, my essay is going to be so Well, but Christian is still like, can you believe that actually happened? That is fucked up. 
Josh is like, that was the thing I was looking for. That was fucked up, but he doesn't really seem that disturbed by it. No, but neither does Christian because that's it's after that that Christian is like, this is what I'm writing my essay on, my thesis on. And yes. this is when Danny is like, I want to get the fuck out of here. And he's saying, no, I want to stay and document this. Mm-hmm. And then eventually those roles will flip. There's a lot of things that are added in the director's cut here. I just want to get through. It's a little bit longer of Danny's reaction, her throwing up beside that ramp building, the people moving the pegs on the stage there. What the fuck was that about? Was that like a oh, sundial yeah. thing? I don't know what that was, but they know what's going on and we don't. And that's the point. Exactly. There's some, it's, it's progressing their Mm -hmm. plan. The ritual is moving forward. Yeah. But so Christian has become so gung ho about this that he'll say something that I find very interesting. Look, Danny, we stick our old people into nursing homes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bet they would find that pretty disturbing. The argument that the female elder, who seems to be like the leader of this town, the matriarch of this town, will tell Simon and Connie is that, listen, no, no, it's entirely voluntary. It's something that every one of us does. If we reach that age, it's so we live our full life And we exit on our terms and we're not in pain and we're not, you know, all the things that happen to you as you age, we decide, you know, we don't want our bodies to go through that. And so we basically check out on our own. And like, I get the sentiment there. You still had two people jump off a cliff and one you smashed in the (laughs) face with a mallet. Like that's still (laughs) fucked up. I understand the concept of not wanting to die Without dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like pain. that self-determination of end of life, like for for when... I don't know why our society is so anti it. Oh, you mean euthanasia? Or like, yeah. just like... You get to a certain age, it's just like, uh, I'm looking at 10 years of living, like... Shit. Well, maybe not that far, but, but like... You when know, you when you're 90. dying and you're in pain and yeah, you hit yeah, 90, uh-huh. it's just like, oh, I get to live because of all this medication and I'm the doctor in pain all the time. Stuff. Like, well, why not just be like, hey, I'm good. Well, I'm bowing out. We're lucky to live in a state where it's legal, so. Is it legal here in California? Mm-hmm. It used to be just like Oregon, Oregon. was the big state. But the re- the fear ostensibly other than people don't like the idea of people committing suicide because it's a sin, so it needs mm-hmm. to be shut down and outlawed. Yep. Other than that, what they say the problem is, is they don't want elder abuse. Kids killing off their parents for their inheritance. Exactly. Right. When, they're, when their parents are maybe a little too disoriented to make their own choice. and But that's why there's doctors involved. Right. You know? How do you feel? Well, the doctors can be paid off too. But uh, how do you think? about this, Jess. How do you feel? I'm 100% pro-euthanasia. I almost worked for a pro-euthanasia nonprofit called Compassion and Choices. There you go. Uh-huh. Jesse's on our side. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely am pro, like, there's, I mean, I know it's probably irritating for some people who need it, but I am pro-red tape about it, but I'm yeah. pro, like, you should have that you should be able to have that that autonomy to make that choice on your own and choose to live or not live the way you want to. This man is dead. I'm not dead. <laughs> I I'm feel alive. happy. <laughs> so Josh is pissed that Christian's like, I'm doing my thesis on this. He's like, what the fuck? You knew the whole reason we came here was so I could 
write my thesis on this. And Christian's like, no, you're writing it on European Midsummer. After this, you're going to go to Germany. You're going to write about all this other stuff. I want to make my thesis specifically about this culture, which seems a little opportunistic. Mm. (laughs) They're both very opportunistic. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He goes out after this and starts interviewing some of the girls, Ula and Maya. Maya is going to be important to his story a little later. Speaking of foreshadowing, walking around the property and the clothesline that hung up with the fabric that's hanging on it is like a tapestry or like an embroidery, <laughs> like foreshadowing of this like love spell that is extremely. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, something s- says to me that it's probably not that far off of what a folk spell like that would be like. So it starts off with all of them walking Pele and Ingmar and all the Americans, or no, sorry, Simon and Connie are British, mm-hmm. with the newcomers, I guess you call them, walking through a field, and then they decide to split off. Pele's going to show them something, and then Ingmar's going to show, oh, I want to show you this stuff over here, and Simon's like, So we're just going to ignore the bear then. And Ingmar's like, It's a bear. And then, <laughs> then all of a sudden, there's just a bear in a cage in the shot now. <laughs> They're like, what? That's been there this whole entire time? Yes. And then the camera pans over this tapestry. Yes, that's like drying and like a piece of laundry. And it is like tapestry that shows kind of what's going to go down. You put a rune under the bed of the person you want to fall in love with you. You feed them your pubes. You make them drink your your, menstrual menstrual blood. blood. And then they're obsessed with you. Yeah. And And then you have a baby. uh That's about right. Yeah. How, How do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) one quick thing about the conversation with josh josh has some really good lines here when christian is like dude i'm gonna i'm gonna do my thesis on this josh is like yeah i can't tell if you're joking right now what you're doing is unethical you need to find your own subject and your own passion. Mm-hmm. But also, very specifically, he says, I taught you how to use JSTOR when getting your PhD. <laughs> you didn't use it for your bachelor's or your master's. I didn't use it for my what bachelor's. What kind of a student are you? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> See? I don't even know. We're what educated. That is. It's it's an online repository for uh, academics for academic papers and things oh, like that. See that? I'm a Philistine. No, I never used it, but he talks about how he had to hold Christian's hand during his time at school the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like if it wasn't for Josh, Christian never would have made it through this far in school. So it's pretty fucked up that you're undercutting me here. Mm-hmm. Is basically what he's saying. Mhm. But also, all anthropology is extractive and problematic and is usually commodifying and fetishizing and dropping in from 10,000 feet to oversimplify a culture and then take their shit and put it in a museum in another country. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Eugenics also. (laughs) Kelsey and I saw a movie, which isn't out yet, and we're not going to name it or anything like that. Oh, God. That does the whole, this belongs in a museum thing, and I'm like, it is 2021. (laughs) 
How on earth is it belongs in a museum? You're that desperate to be Indiana Jones that you need to use that line. None of this shit belongs nope. in a museum. Nope. <laughs> it belongs the with the with the cultures exactly. they came from. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Anyway, that's my my side rant. It's so funny that that just happened. <laughs> we just happened to see that the other day. Anyway. Okay. So we get a scene that was taken out of the original. And I think that it's one of the only scenes that was taken out of the original that I'm like, yeah, you could take that out. And the drowning? Fine. It's the drowning scene. Mm. Now, that provides context for later when we see what happened to Connie's body, because Connie's gonna die. <laughs> um, uh, so we understand better what happened to her here, there, but I, it didn't need to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what happens is they tell this story and part of it is that they need to give gifts to the great goddess and they end up throwing things into the river, right? Or the lake or whatever, this body of water. And they throw their most fruitful tree in and everything like that. They decorated. Yeah. And then they give their finest jewels and most fruitful tree. And then this kid shows up wearing this particular outfit like these green sort of crisscross patterns were on his outfit, like it's he's chained. Like a tree. Yeah, okay, sure. Um, yeah. And he wishes to offer up his life to the goddess. It's just one more thing to show their love and respect for this goddess. And people are like, oh, wow, that's really brave. And he's going to go in. They, they're acting like he's going in the water, like they're going to drown him. These two men pick him up, a third man lays a giant rock. On top of him, and then they start swinging, and Danny's like, what the fuck is happening? What are they going to do? What's happening? No, wait, wait, stop! Okay, you know what? Two old people deciding when it's time for them to end their lives, that's one thing. They're gonna murder a fucking child? Yeah. What? And so she just can't take it anymore. She goes to the front yelling, stop, stop, and when she gets to the front... Another woman yells for them to stop, and then another one does, and another one does, and it turns out this is all part of the performance. Mm -hmm. And they argue, he has shown his bravery. That is the symbol to the goddess. He doesn't actually need to be sacrificed. What is and then brave and going home is what he said before. Yes. Uh-huh. Brave. What is brave and going home? Yeah. Because they're like, oh, yeah, you're so brave. And he's like, I'm just going to go home to the goddess. Yeah. Leave him be. He has shown his bravery is what they say. And that's all in the extended cut. It was very, uh, yeah, very like the pagan theatrics of like a reenactment of something, but not actually, this time not for real. <laughs> mm-hmm. So after she's seen this whole tree thing and she's seen these people die, she's just like, I'm out of here. And Pele comes in and he stops her from leaving. And she says... I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why you invited us. Which makes perfect sense based on what she's seen. Like, why the fuck do you want outsiders here? Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And that's going to lead into a conversation she is going to have with her boyfriend. Well, he deflects and changes the subject to, hey, earlier I tried to talk to you about the fact that my parents died in a fire when I was very young. But I never felt abandoned like you because I had a community that was there for me. This is the moment where he says, does, it, does he feel like home? Does he hold you? Insinuating that she should stay because she ha has felt abandoned because he's reading between the lines that Christian is a loser 
And if she stayed, she would have support. But that she doesn't have it with Christian or in the U.S. And what I find super fascinating about this Mm -hmm. is that he doesn't tell her the context of the fire in which his parents died. Interesting. But then again, it couldn't be that they died in this feast because it would only be every 90 years. That's true. And he did say that he was brought there. I think he said that he came there after. I don't know if he was raised there and that his parents perished there. Oh. I, I don't, I feel. Oh, that's interesting. I, I hadn't so. thought about that. I didn't, I didn't hear that part. But it can't be that they died in that thing. Because yeah. I, I was just about to say yeah, that she, brings a whole other layer to mm-hmm. the brainwashing of this community. But it couldn't have been that. So but death by mind. fire is, you know, certainly relevant. Is it possible that they died in a different pagan ritual that they did with the fire? Yes. And what I was going to say is, if that is part of it, then that, like I said, adds a layer of brainwashing because he is using that as an excuse to get Danny to want to stay there when, in fact, that would mean that they are the reason that they did die. So it's just... He's been totally brainwashed to believe that what they've done is a good thing. (laughs) But that's probably not what happened, is what you're saying. But it's possible that it's a different pagan ritual that they died uh in. The fact that they died in a fire is odd, don't you think? That's very true. (laughs) And then this is also when we get something that's in the director's cut that's not in the theatrical cut. An additional argument between Danny and Christian. Mm Mm-hmm. It's more more revealing of their dynamic and how she's... Asking him if he's even if he even loves her and yeah, she says she wants to go and he lays the guilt trip. I'm doing my thesis on this. I can't leave. And she's mm-hmm. like, "You're not. What? What are you talking about? You're doing your thesis on this. This is brand new. Also, if they're killing people as part of their ceremony, oh, I see where we're at. They don't want anyone to find out about this. There's no way in hell they're going to let you write your thesis on this. But part of this argument that Danny has with Christian is important." Because he does one of the biggest dickhead things ever. Earlier on in the movie, she goes and she picks flowers with all the other little girls and she gives them to him. And then he gets mad at her for giving him the flowers after earlier he forgot her birthday. When you casually gift me an impromptu bouquet of flowers, that just makes me think how and when am I supposed to pay that back? Everything you give me is a reminder that I'm not doing enough for you in this relationship. What, at lunch? I picked those on a whim. Oh, don't try to tell me that you had no ulterior motive. Yeah, what, on what your birthday, do I have? The day after I didn't get you something? Are you being serious? Okay, fine. Play the wounded party again. You're just a self-denying altruist, and I'm a paranoid dick. You don't have a conniving bone in your body. What is it you imagine I'm conniving? You are, Danny. I feel locked into your debt every time you do something I just don't because. Keep you in my because debt. it's never I was just being because. Kind. I was being kind. Okay, fine. I'm the asshole. Nobody's the asshole. I clearly am. You selflessly gave me flowers, and I feel trapped. Fuck. Oh, that was so heartbreaking. More like, you're trying to make me feel bad. And this is in like, the extended cut, yeah. not in the theatrical version, which again makes him out to be a giant bastard. And 
I understand yeah, uh-huh. why in this version what happens happens. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more clear that Christian is not a good guy. Terrible human being. Mm-hmm. At the very least, he's a bad boyfriend. <laughs> Terrible boyfriend. <laughs> yes. Not. I mean, I don't mean just to her, but I mean just in the way he interacts with, and not just his girlfriend, everyone. Yes. He treats everyone like shit. Yeah, he yes. treats his best friends like shit. That's he true. Does. He does. Did, yeah, so when she gives him flowers, yeah, like you said, he's... It's just the way he accuses her, it's just so horrible of just, you know, you did this on purpose. You gave me these flowers to make me feel bad about forgetting your birthday. You're <laughs> always making me feel bad uh-huh. because mm-hmm. you're such a good person and you have to sh- put this parade around. It's just really sad. Uh-huh. hmm Really sad. One quick question. In this version, we get a conversation where we learn that the mating ritual that Christian is going to take part in, like I said, it's a mating ritual. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's probably the first time you have sex because we will see like a teenage couple run out in the night to go and have sex and no one is paying attention. So I guess maybe this is the that's how yes, we this is virginity her, in this community. This is her first time, so I think we can assume at the very least this is something that happens a lot and is probably how you lose your virginity as a woman in this culture. Or specifically how you plan to get pregnant? I mean, who knows? She's definitely planning way. to get pregnant. Like, yeah. that's definitely part of it. We saw it in the tapestry, right? But there's this thing where, like, all of the elder women are there with this one young woman and that young woman's mother who are there to like emotionally guide her through the experience. Now, if she had had sex before and she was just trying to get pregnant, that wouldn't be required. Yep. So there's something about this is how she's losing her virginity. Oh, and we did find out that she just turned of age. She just turned 15, which is when you're allowed to have sex. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, but don't worry, guys. The actress is 20. You don't have to feel yes, weird. Yes, she is 20. <laughs> <laughs> We get a dream sequence, which I think is taken out of the theatrical version. And I thought it was pretty creepy. The redheaded friend uh, is really creepy, staring out the back window, laughing at her as they drive away. She has smoke coming out of her mouth. I think that's in the theatrical version. I think it is. Yeah. It's it's a good dream sequence. Isn't it? I thought it was powerful. It's one of the few times they show nighttime when they're in Sweden in the theatrical cut. Almost everything is daylight in the theatrical cut. Yes, which I think is a nice touch. The dream sequence of someone in the car, you know, looking at her laughing as they're getting away and she's stuck there. And just seeing her sister with the pose attached to her face, but this time at the bottom of where they had the ritual of where the folks jumped off the cliffs, amongst the cliffs. Still with that stark powdery white, but with her dead with the hose in her mouth there. And then, yeah, all of this exhaust starts coming out of Danny's Uh mouth like car exhaust, which is very good. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a powerful dream sequence. 100%. And I don't often, I mean, not often, but, like, a lot of the times dream sequences are used as, like, scare factors, and that's irritating because it's not actually happening, and that's the point. And I, they didn't do that here. Mm-hmm. It was very clear it was a dream, and I appreciated that. Yeah. Mark pees on a tree? Yeah, Mark pees on a tree. Oh, gee, Mark. Why well, <laughs> you gotta pee on them trees? <laughs> Pele says you wouldn't pee on a gravestone. Like... Because to imply, like, okay, this is 
the equivalent of what you did because Ulf is going to get so upset at him. He's going to lose his mind. And Mark's like, what are you, what's going on? Well, I'm just taking a leak. And Pele has to explain to him, no, this is, this represents all of our ancestors and I the think dead. earlier they were showing them shoveling like ashes, right? Yes. Onto yeah. From it? burned bodies. Mm-hmm. Now. Okay. There's How a fire can- that's going the entire time. That's in the director's cut as well. That fire's been going since before, since he before, was born. before Christian was born. That's Not Christian, you know uh, was, Pele. Yeah, that's how you know he was part of the community. Uh. But, I mean, okay. How could he know it was an ancestral tree? Absolutely. How the fuck could he know that? But also, why you gotta... First of all, why are you peeing where everyone can see you? Right. That's weird. Walk, walk 20 <laughs> feet that way yeah, and there's a forest of the trees. Yeah, go the fucking forest. But also... They obviously have plumbing. Right. Why aren't you using a bathroom? <laughs> it's so weird. And then and then the girl that Mark's interested in comes by and is like, to Pele, tell him it's okay. He didn't know. Mm-hmm. And she walks away. Meanwhile, her father, Ulf, is breaking down. He's still freaking out about it. And Christian's giggling the entire time about how funny he thinks this is, which should give you an indication of how respectful he feels about, about this, this culture. community that he's supposedly going to write a thesis e- about. Exactly. Good point. And, but Mark's like, what else did she say? Yeah, because he immediately <laughs> is like, oh, does she want to hook up with me? And and then turns his back on the guy who was crying about the tree. Yeah. It's just so awful. And it, it, it's just very, very clear that he's just a piece of shit. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. After their argument the night before, Danny and Christian reunite here and he kisses her and they sort of make up. That's unique to the director's cut as well. Mm. Simon and Connie are going to disappear? Yeah, so they've already decided they're going to leave. And Connie's like, where the fuck is Simon? Mm. And what this guy is trying to explain to her is that we have a truck. It only fits two. You have 90 minutes before this train leaves. It takes half an hour to get there. It's going to take half hour to get back. And then they have to take you. They had to leave now and they couldn't tell you because there was no time. The truck driver is going to come back and then he's going to pick you up and then you're going to go. And Connie's not having any of this. And Danny comes in at the very end. All she hears is that Simon left without Connie. Yeah. That's all she hears. And she's going to start being like, what the fuck is going on? Why would Simon leave without Connie? She didn't hear the explanation of that's the only way they could get to the train without breaking traffic laws, which this community does not do. I mean, obviously, they're lying. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, it's just awful. We're just And this poor woman, again, obviously, she knows her partner doesn't make any sense. Yes. And just the really weak shell of an explanation that you just said. Just really bad. <laughs> it just sucks when you know someone's lying to you. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about uh-huh. it. And so she goes to tell Christian, he left without Connie. And Christian's like, oh, that sucks. Oh, that yeah, that's really <laughs> shitty of him. So anyway, uh... <laughs> Immediately asks about the incest of the of the town. And what we find out is that they do have incest in this town, very specifically to create their oracles. Well, yeah, so Josh ends up getting... So they all... They both end up getting permission to write their thesis, but they have to sign an NDA. Right. That they cannot use any names or location details or anything like that. And specifically... Josh wants to see the Ruby Rodder, which makes me think of Fifth Element with Ruby Rod. Mm. Um, But the Ruby Rodder is their holy book. And one of the elders is going to show it to him. He asks him if he can take a picture. And the elder's like, fuck no, you can't take a picture. (laughs) 
But he explains the fact that there's an oracle who writes in the book, and we have thousands of them now, of these books that these oracles have been writing. And the oracle now is this physically disfigured young man who was specifically inbred, so his mind isn't clouded by, like, intelligence. Mm-hmm. And he's just in tune with nature. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's in tune with the real world and what's going on. And what we see is written in his book of the Ruby Rotter. It's a bunch of text and then like finger painting all over it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just which, rubbing in paint over the page. Which they were referring to during the initial... Atastupa. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well, what they explain is that they interpret it. Exactly. But during that time, you're like, why are they reading from a book that has paint all over the words? Then mm-hmm. you find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the idea is that he is speaking the holy word effectively. They're writing it down. And then I assume he's painting over it. And we hear twice during this time a scream in the distance. Mm-hmm. And each time one person notices it and then moves on. Oh, I only noticed one. Well, it was Mark. Yeah, Mark heard what I think is Connie. Yes. Yeah. Being That's taken. right after, yeah. Because Simon's already disappeared by this point. Well, prior to this, uh-huh. it was Danny working in the kitchens, heard scream. Yeah, that was probably Simon. That was Simon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's just say what happens to them. Simon gets angeled. No, he gets... Blood-eagled. Oh. Blood-eagled, which is a Viking thing. Mm-hmm. Where they would open up your back and pull out your lungs as if they're wings. Yep. Yikes. That's gotta be painful. And so that happens to Simon. Yes. And Connie gets drowned in that same outfit that the boy was wearing when we saw that ceremony earlier. Now, in the theatrical cut, you don't really see that. You see her for, like, a shot, and you kind of understand that it's her, but you don't get what the 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 costume is or any of that. Why is she bloated? Yeah, because you missed all uh that part. But it's really unnecessary. But the blood eagle. (laughs) Yes. 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 Marinate on that a little bit. Okay. So yeah, he's suspended, right? Yeah, from his from his like his arms, yes. and then his his ribs are separated from his spine, and then yes. opened up, yes. and then the the lungs are taken out from behind to make these little wings. Yes, and it looks like he's still breathing because they are inflating a little bit. But he's probably not. But he's probably not. Because the one person who sees him like this at this moment later on in the movie he's is Christian, yes. and, and he is on drugs. Yes, you're right. You're so right. He, he's probably not still living. Yeah, well, for a brief moment, Kelsey forgot that he was on drugs. And I was like, are they seriously implying that he survived this? <laughs> no, you were not intended to survive this. No. Especially since your diaphragm is part of breathing. Yes. Your, your lungs take in the oxygen, but it's your diaphragm moving that causes them to do that. So they can't just expand outside of the body. But so they are all sitting down for another meal. And Mark sees the guy who was crying over the tree, just staring him down. Yeah. And he is goes, is that guy going to kill me? Dude, is that guy going to kill me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he actually probably he, Yeah, he actually probably is. You're right. We don't really get to find out who kills him. We assume it's Ulf. Yeah, we assume. The big event that happens next is later that night, 
Josh goes to bed with his shoes on and then sneaks out into the library to take pictures of the Ruby Rotter, which he's not supposed to do. So and when he's guy. there, yes, 100%. Mark shows up and Josh is like, what is that? Mark? Like, what? what's going on? Like, where have you been? Or whatever. And then he gets hit over the head with that mallet from the Atastupa. And then he's kind of like laying on his his face is kind of sideways. And he's like Twitching. spasming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from above, we see Mark in quotes looking down on him. And it's somebody else wearing, wearing Mark's skin. That's right. Skin, skin the fool. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and then when they eventually take Mark's body into the place where they're going to take all the bodies, he's, he's dressed like, as a jester. And he's stuffed with straw. Yes. Ugh. So cool. <laughs> yeah. So cool. So things are starting to come to a head at this point. Both Mark and Josh are gone. And the next morning, the elders are like, we have bad news. The 119th volume or whatever of the Ruby Rotter has disappeared. And they, they'll confront Christian and Danny later, and they're like, doesn't look good that the guy who was asking the questions about the Ruby Rotter and your other friend who peed on our ancestral tree <laughs> just happened to disappear the same night that the Ruby Rotter goes missing. Yeah, and this is them totally gaslighting them. <laughs> yeah, and Christian's like, uh, I just need to express... That we had nothing to do with this, and we totally don't condone it. And they're we're like, "We're not friends with them." Yeah, we're not friends with them. We don't like them. Who are they even? I don't even know. Do you know them? I don't know so them. Awful. Like, yeah, it's yes. just the worst. Just throwing his friends under the bus immediately because he's opportunistic. Yeah, hundred percent. But they're distracted because they're gonna go and do the maypole. Yay, maypole. Yeah. Yeah, and so they pull away Danny from Christian. Yes. They they say, you need to go talk to the elder lady and you're going to go do the maypole thing. And uh-huh. I would be like, no, I want my boyfriend to stay with me. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. So two things happen. Number one, they dress Danny up. They make her drink a tea. Yes. Which is absolutely hallucinogenic. Mm-hmm. And there is a dance competition. Oh. Where they all have to dance in increasingly complex and disorienting ways as time goes on. And whoever's the last one standing gets to be the May Queen. That's what's happening to Danny. It's happening to Christian. He goes into the room where this elder woman, this mayor, effectively, is. And all the walls are gorgeous. There's like this print on them. They're so cool. And same print that Jesse was talking about in the dorm rooms. But black and white. Yeah, no, it's like blue and white. Blue and, and it's white. like faces blue and, and white stuff in like the that. Dorms too. No, it's all colorful in the dorms. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, it felt very Dutch with the blue and the Oh, white. yeah, very much so, yeah. And then there's there's just two chairs in the middle of the room, and then the matriarch lady stands in front of one of them, and Christian's like, oh, I guess I'll mimic this. I'll stand in front of the other one, and they're really close to each other. And there's that thing where everyone waits for whoever it is that we're showing respect to to sit down first. First time we saw that was, was the dinner before the Atastupa where everyone waited for the two elderly people to come and sit down and start eating before they did any of that. Right. So he does the same thing with her. And then she's like, so do you want to fuck Maya? Yeah. (laughs) You're an ideal mate. (laughs) Yeah. We need to have a baby. (laughs) And he's like, I don't know about all of this. I came with Danny. And she's like, don't you want to see our mating rituals? He's like, and there's no other way to see the mating rituals than to participate? And she's like, nope. <laughs> Cut to, he's in the room 
guess it wasn't that hard to persuade him. Yep. How well they do don't they drug him? Well, so there's the there's the the end of the crowning ceremony for the May Queen where she wins the dance competition. Yeah, I think they just they don't really end that conversation. They don't really show you how it ends. No. But he's sitting there. She says, You are an ideal astrological match, and she has chosen you. And he says, But I'm with Danny. And she goes, Well, Danny's not gonna know. And he's like, I don't know about this. And she goes, Look, we're not approving you for marriage. You wouldn't be approved for marriage. This is a one-time thing. Uh-huh. And that's kind of where that conversation ends, and then we cut to the mm-hmm. Maples. And he's very distracted sitting in the audience, and Danny is having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. She's high as fuck. Yes, she is. She's very disoriented, and then every time she looks over at Christian, Christian's looking at Maya, or he's looking at the ground, even Not though Pele's sitting right next to him, and Pele's paying attention to her. Completely, 100%. Yep. And so when she wins... Pele kisses her. Yes. We talked about this earlier. And Christian doesn't even fucking notice. No. But again, they've they've given him drugs at this point. Yes. Yeah. Somebody uh, came by and gave him a drink. And he's like, I don't know if I should really be drinking this. And she's like, no, it's okay. Trust me. And he's like, oh, (laughs) he does it. And then they take her away. And it's like, oh, the May Queen needs to bless our crops. She keeps looking back. Yeah. And Christian is being left behind. Uh And they're definitely showing you... She is now part of this community. Yeah. He is not. They are separate from one another at this point. And she keeps looking back at him because I don't think at this point yet she's yet ready mm-hmm. to let go. And can, just to wanted to, with the Maypole ceremony, I found it very anxiety inducing to watch because she's tripping you're, there's some POV stuff going on. You see how dizzying it is and how frenetic the dance is. Mm-hmm. It's literally people who are all tripping balls, who are, you know, just running around this maypole doing this dance. But In increasingly complex ways. Like, yes. oh, now you're going to go back and forth. Now your back's going to be to the pole and you're yep. in a circle facing in the wrong way. Yep. And the music mm-hmm. gets and more and more like chaotic. And there's somebody yelling something. Now, this is an, a perfect example of what I mean when I say I wish none of it was subtitled. Because we get her saying things like, reverse. Exactly. And it's like... If we just heard her shout something unintelligible and then everyone changes direction, that would have been much more disorienting. In her state, she thought she could speak Swedish. Oh, yes. That that is a good point. She does start to speak it. That's Uh true. That was very cool. That was, I loved that moment. That was so cool. Then you should be a man. That's what she thinks they're saying. I would say save it to when she starts because at first she's like, I can't speak Swedish. And then she says it in Swedish. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, wait, I can. So until that point, it shouldn't have been. Agree. But anyway, she won. They have a dinner. They're treating her as the guest of honor now. Mm hmm. And they do the fish thing that she can't finish and everyone laughs at her. They try to get her to swallow a whole fish tail first as like a superstition rite of passage. Also, she's tripping and we're back to really realistic, subtle, psychedelic effects. Oh, yeah. Her crown has the flowers are like softly opening and closing and breathing. It's really subtle. And you'll notice patterns on people's clothes that are just 
barely moving or her like... throne is covered in plants yes. that respond to her movement. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. And there was another moment earlier too where she was starting to grow roots into the ground. Mm-hmm. That's right. And there were a couple parts where when somebody smiles at her, it it looks like a Cheshire cat kind of smile where Mm -hmm. the smiles, like the grin's just a little bit unnaturally big. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Oh, it happened like twice in the movie. It kind of goes back to that weird looking sun from the mural at the very beginning where it has that kind of I've read that people think that that's the smile she's trying to emulate at the end. I didn't gather that. I didn't feel it. I can see how, oh, she's smiling and it's the end of the movie just like the sun. It's like, well... Well, because she's very yellow. Yeah, I understand, mm-hmm. like, the iconography of her looking like a sun, but I didn't get that the but smile the smile doesn't. be that. No, similar. it doesn't look like it. Especially since the sun is closed mouth, and I don't think she is. What sun are we talking about? In the mural, the beginning of the... The one that oh, I, the oh, first yeah, thing you see. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. this squiggly line sort of smile, right. almost manic or whatever. That's right. And she smiles, like, out of a great sense of this sort of, like, relief... Mm-hmm. Like a rush of euphoria. It's not <laughs> watch him burn. It's not that kind of smile. So I don't know. I think it could be interpreted that way. <laughs> no, no. I'm, but what I'm saying is, she's not like good, good. It's wow. I feel incredible. And it may be because he's burning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's not my point. It's the emotion isn't I'm happy because he burns. The emotion is I feel great. Yeah. So she goes off to bless the crops, and he goes off to fuck Maya in front of a bunch of old naked ladies. Yes. <laughs> and get pushed from behind. Oh, oh that. No. Like, and get sung to by her mom. There are so many moments where it's like, do these ladies know that they are not helping right now? <laughs> if some old naked lady started pushing on my ass from behind, <laughs> I think I would have to be, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Also, every again going back, everybody's breathing in unison. Uh huh. Same thing. Yep. Uh, but again, but, they gave him more drugs right before yeah, he went. Yeah. So in. it's probably an aphrodisiac of a drug that keeps him hard or something. I yes, don't know. I would assume so. But he does end up finishing inside of her. She says, "Which is finish. one of the most graphic <laughs> things I've said on this show." Uh, I we, love his look, by the way. Oh it yeah. Is so. He is so Good. baffled by everything, yes. too. When he yes. looks at the mom, when she just shows up out of nowhere, he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> his acting from this point on is so spot on. Like, he always looks baffled and terrified, mm-hmm. and it's yes. so good. Yes. <laughs> but before they finish, before <laughs> before everything gets wrapped up, oh. nothing gets wrapped up. Uh, before... <laughs> Before the end of this ceremony, Danny comes back from blessing the crops and she hears the moaning. Mm-hmm. All these elderly women moaning together. It's very loud. And she's like, what's going on in there? And the lady who's been guiding her this entire time is like, that's not for us. <laughs> she's like, no, I need to look. I really don't think you should. No, I'm fucking going. And she goes and she looks through the peephole and she sees what she knows to be her man's bare ass. <laughs> thrusting into some 15-year-old redhead <sighs> and she loses it. Of course. She starts wailing. Like, because she's just a, a, just a font of emotion. And remember, she's been on shrooms like this whole day. <laughs> and 
she's just losing her mind and just grief stricken. Another moment like in Hereditary that you mentioned earlier. And then all these older women who are of age, who have been with her this entire time, kind of gather her up and they do that thing where they start to wail with her. Probably a very famous scene that if you didn't watch this movie, you've still seen a moment from it. Mm -hmm. All these women kneeling on the ground, wailing together. And she's just letting it all out. Washing it over her. Mm -hmm. And then it it is very manic and... It makes you feel like you are going a little bit crazy watching it happen. At least I did. See, I'm more... Uh, that is very, like, turns me off. Like I was saying, I don't like the idea of you participating in my emotional mm-hmm. pain. Because I'm like, you're not feeling this right now. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I like... See, I would prefer, uh, like, in the beginning, with my man to be there for me and holding me. And doesn't necessarily need to be... Part of what I, like, just be there for me is what I'm looking for, but you would appreciate someone crying with you? No, I just think that it's part of the, like, insanity of of the community, where it doesn't necessarily make me feel better, it makes me feel more disturbed by the movie. Because I'm like, there is something that these people, it's almost like they don't have control necessarily, it just happens, because everything is so collective, and... It almost, again, it feels like a hive mind. It makes it seem less real that way. Mm. If they all just, oh, you're feeling like that, so I'm going to do this too. It feels ritualistic, but yeah, I don't know. It feels like a, like muscle memory. I don't know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like when you go, like when people go to church, mm-hmm. you know, you go through the motions. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're feeling it, mm-hmm. but the way that they act like they're feeling it. But then again, look at little kids pretending like they're talking tongues. Mm-hmm. What do they learn that from? Right. So Danny's wailing. That sex ceremony is coming to completion. <laughs> Sorry. And, <laughs> and Christian is like, what the fuck is happening it's here? It's like it just dawned on him uh-huh. what happened. And he, and he bursts out of this ceremony hall completely naked, Wang hanging out and everything. Which was apparently, and I know I say this a lot, but apparently it was the actor's idea as a sort of contrast to what we normally get, which is just a lot of female nudity mm-hmm. and the vulnerability of a naked woman. Now we have the vulnerability of this naked man who's panicking and he doesn't know what's going on. And then he really starts to panic when he sees Josh's leg buried in the ground. Yes. Sticking cool. out. Like yes. a little carrot top. <laughs> <laughs> and then he runs away into this other building where he finds the blood eagle that is Simon. So mm-hmm. good with the flowers in his eyes. Uh-huh. Go into the And he like looks this. at him underneath the flower eyes and you can see the... The lungs pumping, but remember he's on drugs and he's really freaking out right now, so that's probably part of that. And then he turns around and this dude just blows dust in his face. Knocked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Bye. And then he wakes up and somebody's like, Christian, Christian, hey, Christian, hey, you're not going to be able to move and you're not going to be able to speak. Just one, wanted to let you know that. Okay, anyway. <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Isn't that terrifying? Terrifying. That was really frightening. And Can he you won't. Imagine? They're both done speaking for the rest of the movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the rest of no this more is words. purely looks that they give. So they're having the actual ceremony now, and Siv, who's one of the 
elders there, says a lot of things, and one of the things we learn is that as an offering to our father, we will today surrender nine human lives. As Herga takes, so Herga also gives. And Herga is the place where they're from, and I believe that's sort of what they're talking about when they talk about the goddess. Mm-hmm. Thus, for every new blood sacrificed, we will dedicate one of our own. So, four new bloods, four from Herga, and one to be chosen by the queen, because they need nine. Remember, nine is really important to these people. 90 years between ceremonies, nine every multiple, every phase of your life is separated into 18 years. There are nine victims in this case, nine, 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 nine in all to die and be reborn in the great cycle. The four new bloods have already been supplied. As for our end, we have two already dedicated, Ingmar and Ulf. Let's talk about that. I want to talk about that. Okay. Ingmar and Ulf are happy to dedicate their lives to this. Mm -hmm. And remember, Ingmar is Pele's, well, they say brother, but they've been friends since they were little babies. He calls everybody his brother and sister. Right. He doesn't mean literally brother, but this is the closest thing he has to an actual brother. Yeah, right. When they go into this place, what's going to happen is they're going to sacrifice these people. I think Chris has already said that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're going to burn them. Now, these two people who are fully willing to do this, they give them some swab in the mouth and they say, feel no pain, feel no fear. Take this you. Yes. Sap from the you or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. When the fire begins to burn them. At least Ulf. At least one of them starts to scream. Ulf is the one that screams and Ingmar just watches. What are we supposed to get from that? That none of this is doing anything. It's all bullshit. I think, I don't think literally that's what we're supposed to get. I think metaphorically, that's what we're supposed to understand is that I I absolutely feel pain. No, I don't want to do this. This is Ulf realizing that everything he lived his life for and committed himself to and gave up literally his life for might actually be bullshit. Do you agree with that? I think it's just what, like a very extreme consequence of zealotry. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it's bullshit or not, he's changed his mind well, by so the time he dies. you gather that he has changed his mind. You don't think that it's just a human reaction. I think it could very well could be. I think it is a human reaction yeah. because he, you could he could very well still see himself as a martyr. He's not getting up and running away. He's but this screaming is in agony yeah, because uh-huh. he's on fucking fire cuz burns are one of the most painful things that you can experience. Yeah. Okay. I totally like that was pretty much what I was thinking, but I still am confused a little bit by it. But to add to my confusion then Everyone starts to scream with him. Yeah. So they are aware that it is painful and yeah. awful. So. Well, this is a mirror of the Adestupa. When was Ulf ever yeah. under the impression that it wouldn't. When was he under the impression that it would be okay? No, no. Something has gone wrong and he's screaming. Just like with the Adestupa, something went wrong and this man is feeling pain and we need to feel it with him. We need to share that pain all together as one. That's all they're doing is they're realizing that he's going through pain. Well, why does he understand that it's all bullshit in that moment and they don't? I don't know if he thinks it's, I don't know. I genuinely don't know if he thinks it's bullshit or not or if he still is committed and he's still a martyr and he's having a human experience. I think that's very possible. Physical pain. That's how I see it. Like he's still convicted, but he, like you can be convicted. Like think about, really devout Catholics that whip themselves down streets 
full, like bloodying themselves or carrying a, cru- a crucifix down a street for days and days and days. Like that happens in some parts of the world and they scream in pain and get infections and they're still convicted as fuck. It's mm-hmm. true. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like But I, what I saw though and why I think why I came to that bullshit conclusion is because what I saw was this is real. This is pain that a human being is feeling. Mm-hmm. We've been treating this like some elevated ceremony like it's some holy grand thing, but what's actually happening is a human being is burning to death mm-hmm. and feeling pain. There's nothing fucking holy about that. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the impression that I got from That's that. That's true, but if you think about most organized religions, there's been so much brutality that oh, is totally. seen as ritualistic, right? And they're, I don't know. Well, you yeah. see with them sharing in his pain, they yeah. they continue to feel what they feel. They don't right. change at all. It also feels, again, kind of that hive mindy thing, and also it's part of the performance and it's like almost a choreographed you know, yeah. like this is the part where we do this. Uh-huh. This is the part where we wail with Danny. This is the part where the women moan with the other girl. Uh-huh. You know, so it's all performative. Getting, it feels a little performative, but also just like a subconscious connectivity. I don't know. I don't really have a straight answer, but it both come to mind for me. We haven't actually said the whole ceremony thing that's happening now. Sure. Uh, so we have the eight people. Simon, Connie... Mark and Josh as the outsiders, the two elders who got to 72, mm-hmm. and these two volunteers, Ingmar and Ulf. There needs to be a ninth, and that will be decided between another outsider who's already been pre-designated, and that's Christian, and one of their specially designated locals, and they have a lottery. Yes, Pick between this random person or this man that you just happened to see cheat on you that we did not orchestrate for you to walk in on. At all. I wonder how much of that is true. I think they're fine if she does find out, but would that woman have said that's not for us and tried to usher her somewhere else if the intent was for her to see Christian the entire time? I don't think it was their intention. Oh, I do. Oh, I fully do. She didn't try at all to keep her from going Well, I think up to this point, they've been trying to get her to detach from her prior obligations and and her prior friendships and attach herself to this Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. and... Pele was a big part of that. So I think that's definitely part of it. But yeah, they have a lottery, just like in the lottery, of who's going to die, who's going to sacrifice. No, I mean, the lottery specifically is we're going to have a literal lottery and one of you is going to die so our crops can grow. And that's what's happening here. Um, Hunger Games. Now, the Hunger Games is who wants to die so we rich people can get a fucking kick out of it and you guys can stay in line. It's not about making the crops grow. But it's by... Lottery, yes, lottery. yes, that that part is true. I'm talking everything lines up with the lottery story. Anyway, it picks some guy, and I don't think we ever actually see who she selects, but the next thing we see is there's a man, he's teaching some kids how to disembowel a bear. <laughs> Remember that bear we saw earlier? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's sad end. And then... Well served. Yeah. And then they bring in a paralyzed Christian and lay oh, him down on the table. Oh my god, this is also terrifying. And then they, sh- remember how we mentioned Wicker Man before? They shove him inside this bear. <laughs> now, in Wicker Man, it's a bear costume that he's wearing. Not this a is real a bear. literal bear that he's been stuffed inside. So it's shaped like a bear. When it sits down later, it's going to sit like a bear with its <laughs> paws and its stubby little legs and all of that. It's not a human in a bear suit. 
It's a man and a physical bear with his head sticking out of the bear's mouth. It's amazing. The look on his face. Oh, because he can't move. His eyes are just wide and he's panicky and he's freaking out. He's a good actor. He really is. Even the panic in his eyes as he was in the wheelchair during Mm -hmm. that lottery process. Uh Immobilized. And just staring up at her. Yes. And what we know is she picked him, of course. That's why he's in this scenario now. Uh, we see all the dead bodies being wheelbarrowed in. Mm-hmm. Which all look really fucking cool. Yes, including well the stuffed skin of Mark. How did they do Josh again? How was Josh represented? I don't remember what was with Josh. Who was the person with the really cool branches coming? I think that was the elder woman. So that was so cool. There were like a a shooting of branches out of somebody's mouth and their head was yeah. back. It was really beautiful. And then Connie was drowned. There was the blood eagle. Yeah, so all these people were brought into this Josh building. Was set up. Was he buried in the garden? Just like, but no, he had to be in there to be mm-hmm. sacrificed. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure we saw him. I just don't remember what he looked like. But the Joker, he they stuck branches the inside fool. his. They took off his hands and they stuck branches inside of his arms, and they also put it inside his mouth. But yes, there's that. another. Oh, yeah torso i think it might be the elder woman like chris Mm -hmm. said they she's got branches for arms i love that and in the middle is this bear (laughs) with christian stuffed inside of it and then they they do the 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 usap thing in ulf and ingmar's mouths as they sit there we know that could just immobilize them and make them Im- make it impossible well it's interesting that you say that because that's a big thing we say about lethal injections is that uh, what happens oftentimes when they go wrong and sometimes when they go right is that what's really happening is you're just shutting down your body so it doesn't visibly react to the pain it's in, but you're still experiencing all of that pain. We are literally torturing somebody to death in that moment where they stop being able to breathe, but they're still alive and they can feel all that pain. Oh, come on, there's gotta be a way to die without any pain. Sure, but... Why don't we do that? The point is, is that because it doesn't look like they're in pain, we think everything's okay. So that's my anti-capital punishment (laughs) screed for the episode. (laughs) So then they set this place on fire and the whole thing goes up and there's this... So we mentioned earlier that Ulf starts screaming and then everyone else starts screaming and Danny starts screaming and we get this awesome fucking shot this tracking shot that tracks from right to left of her sort of sobbing forward in this giant flower dress with the fire in the background and then everyone's screaming and then she stops and looks at the fire terrified at what's happened and what's become of her and what decision she made and you know she feels guilty again throughout the entire movie she keeps fucking apologizing to christian for shit that's not her fault that she should not be apologizing for. And this is the time where she's like, no, I'm not going to feel bad about this. Now, <laughs> I can what see. What a time to choose. <laughs> I can see how you could be like, well, yeah, if it's a bad thing that she's been apologizing for things that he's done as a shitty boyfriend and she shouldn't be apologizing. And this is kind of the final recreation of that act. Could it be said that Ari Aster is arguing that Christian deserved to die, and this is a good thing that's happening to Danny right now. That's what I questioned for a long sure, time. Sure, but this director's cut just gives you a little bit more context into that. 
that no, it's like it's kind of bad what's happening to her too. Yeah, it seems she's being consumed by this cult. It seems very clear to me that yes, this is a cult, and yes, she has just been brought into the mm-hmm. fold. And that we should not be thinking that this is a good community. And I don't yes. I don't feel as bad for Christian either at the same time in no. this version. Because he is even more of a dickhead in this version than he was in the theatrical yes. version. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just that I think she's also becoming absorbed with the shared, like, euphoria also that's happening through this ceremony. Where people are wailing and screaming and hysteria. And just that that kind of grin that is unsettling. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's supposed to be unsettling. Mm-hmm. Here's a question. Is this the only time she smiles in the entire movie? Wow. Can you no. think of another time she smiles? I think so. Doesn't she smile at some point when she's talking to Pele? Oh, and she smiles a lot during the fucking maypole scene. That's right. Oh, okay. She smiles Never a lot. mind. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. That's the end of the movie. Any other thoughts about it? I think we talked quite a bit about it. Yeah, I was it. like, I'm not going to go back. There's things we skipped, but I'm not going to go back. Same for yeah. me. No. I thought, I think this movie is very good. I think it is a scary look into cult culture. And at the same time, it's a scary look into our culture. And, and how we, we respond well. to these sort of external cultures that seem weird to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our expansionist sort of tendencies that we have. In the West, and yeah, or what should I say? What's the term? It's West is not a good term. Yeah, anyway, that we feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all think? pretty fucked up all around, I'd say. I liked it better the second time around. I like the director's cut better than the theatrical cut. Mm-hmm. I like that better, too. It's just a just a superb success of a movie. Just everything is so well done. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. All the head nods. I thought it was beautiful. I think that it, it is, yes, it is three hours. It feels like a two-hour movie. It does. It's just visually stunning and perfect. Visually beautiful. Visually stunning. The colors, the composition, the design of the buildings, the costuming, the practical effects. Shout out to Hacks and Cloak, which is a, a composer slash band I really like who did some of the music or a song. So there's some goth cred there. <laughs> and <laughs> Ari Aster is amazing. And the writing is incredible. And the acting is incredible. And yeah, the psychedelia is very realistic. I just I really hit it out of the park for me. I really have nothing to complain about. And you know, guys, it was Jesse who told me to watch it originally. You can count on me. <laughs> so here's a question. Sure. Why then is Ari Aster making a drama next because he wants to break my heart Uh uh-huh these two movies are just so fucking good Mm -hmm. a decade spanning portrait of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time disappointment boulevard is what it's called starring joaquin phoenix and parker posey which will be interesting i'm sure it'll be no doubts very well made. I'm sure, but he's so good at this. <laughs> yeah. It makes me so sad. Yes. And I do feel hopeful, though, because I have seen a couple good horror movies in recent years, and I think that he's a big influence in making better horror yeah. films. Absolutely. Elevating mm-hmm. it, you know? Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? It better have a, a solid 90, at least. Kelsey? 
I'm going to go even higher. I'm going to guess it has like a 95. Yeah, I, I agree. It has an 83. Holy oh, shit! Oh, man. Ambitious, impressively crafted, and above all, unsettling, Midsummer further proves writer-director Ari Aster is a horror auteur to be reckoned with. A Metacritic of 72, and, ooh, the one that you probably could have predicted, a cinema score of C+. Jesus. Well, I mean, oh, it's no, not yeah, a... Cinema score. <laughs> it's not a... It's not a... Uh, it's when people walk out. Mother. Out the door. Oh. Yeah, it's it's surveys of people leaving the theater. I'm wow. sure that a lot of people didn't like this movie when they first saw him. Oh, sure. I mean, it's it's no mother that got an F. Oh, yeah. Well, mother kind but of it, deserves an F. But, but, it's, <laughs> but it's along those lines where it's like, this is too artsy-fartsy, it was too long. Right. What the yes. hell was I watching? Yeah. No, of course people are going to walk away with that. And a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people were like, that was supposed to be a horror movie? What yeah. was scary yeah. about that? Nobody goes. There was the badass yeah. scene where that guy gets his face smashed in. Oh, yeah. You know, and there's so like, there's th- there's those moments, but the rest of this was, it was a bunch of looking at the sky and. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people like, <laughs> I didn't get it. It was weird. <laughs> it's isn't to put people that didn't like it down. I totally get it. This just yeah. seems made for me. I thought it was beautiful and interesting and well acted and well written and yeah and definitely liked the extended version more mm-hmm. so underrated yes 100 percent. what would you give it oh god it's like a 98 or 99 for me it's pick so, one i'll say 90 99 99 98 because oh, I'll okay. never, i'm like can't decide which comes first hereditary or midsummer that's something else to discuss another day Speaking of, just how does it compare? So, Hereditary had a Rotten Tomatoes of eighty nine at the time that we watched it, Mm -hmm. and we both gave it a ninety. So, Kelsey, what do you think this movie should get? I thought I gave a higher score to Hereditary. I'm gonna give this a ninety one because I think it's so beautiful and just magnetizing. That's a good word for it. I was tempted to give this a ninety five. I'm kind of surprised that Hereditary is a 90 and not a little higher than that. It does a different thing. Mm-hmm. It captures the realness of the family drama just so fucking well. I think my problem with both of these films, but that this one is even more so. Neither one, I know I just said this, is, you know, terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't watch this and you're not like screaming and, you know, covering your eyes, right? You're going to have a hard happening. time sleeping, but for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Not because you were terrified. All right. <laughs> but hereditary is psychologically dreadful. And this is even more so. Interesting. This is more so because this takes you out of, at least in hereditary, you're in your own environment the whole time. This completely... Yeah takes you out of anything that Uh seems normal, feels normal, sounds normal. And because of that, you're put on the defensive because you're the outsider, you know? Right. So, like, that makes it even more uncomfortable. Hereditary is about inherited baggage, right? And this is about, I think, the power and impact of, like, the word you used before, zealotry, Mm -hmm. and large groups of people who feel strongly enough about something yeah. can cause some real fucking damage. I mean, that's what happens in Hereditary, but this just feels more, they can do whatever they want to you. There's no escape. You right. are in Well, in that, land. nothing would have happened if... 
her mother hadn't gotten them into it. It's it's very specifically trauma passed down through generations, right? This isn't that. Mm-hmm. Right. That was thrust upon them. This was done by choice. And I think that's a little bit scarier sure. here. So 91, you think? Yeah. I'm going to go. I think I do like this better than Hereditary. Um, but like, it, 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 don't read too much into that. I l- sure, loved hereditary. It's also more visually pleasing. Well, <laughs> no, it's gorgeous. I don't know, like when the dad catches fire in hereditary yes. is a pretty great moment. Yes. And I love the very end sequence with the headless body that like uh-huh. levitates up into that. It looks very cool. Oh, Remember man. The when the she head saws the, her own head off. Yes. Head we just saw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um... I'm going to go 93. Nice. 93. Oh, okay. So I'll settle with a 98. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else to say about Midsummer? No, I think I think we chatted a lot and it was great being on. Thank you so much for entertaining me and and having me back. Of course. Thank is, you for being here. Is of there course. anything you want to share with the audience? Mm-hmm. You can take action to on climate by going to stopline3.org. We're working on <laughs> an, a, opposing one of the largest tar sands oil pipelines in history at my job. Signed the petition to Biden to tell him to pull the plug on it like he did for Keystone XL. We don't need 50 coal-fired plants in the air. We don't need to cross 200 bodies of fresh water and jeopardize the drinking water of 18 million people in the United States, all for export for an, a multinational company. Chris and Kelsey did not get paid for that advertisement. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this is a delight because that's my job. (laughs) I love my job, but yeah. So yeah, sign the petition at stopline3.org. Well, thank you for joining us, Jesse. This has been really good, even though it is now past midnight and I am on fire. I am so burning up right now. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just... It is so hot in here because we've got to turn off all the fans and the air conditioning and it's just so hot. Anyway, that is the movies for this week that uh, Jesse brought for us. So thank you very much for that. What are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching. Wait for it, guys, because Chris is excited. We're going to finish up the Wishmaster series. Can you believe it? We're watching two and three, guys, and then we are done. Maybe? <laughs> I don't think they're going to make a fourth one. Also, I honestly guys, don't know anything about it. We received an email telling us not to do this, but we're doing it because Chris loves this movie, and I don't know okay, why. Okay, let's be clear. I loved Wishmaster 1. I don't know about Wishmaster 2 or 3 yet. Haven't seen them. I've been waiting specifically to watch it on this show. Wishmaster 1 was a lot of fun. It reminded me of Freddy in all the good ways. And it was just silly. I'm not going to give it a 93. Okay? (laughs) It's just not going to happen. But I still enjoyed it. So we're going to watch 2 and 3 because Kelsey really loves me. Yeah. And she would like to make me happy. Yes. So that's why we're watching those movies. True love. Until then, you can always find us at our website, podcemetery.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. We're going to be posting a lot of stuff for these two movies. So if you want to see all the extra stuff that doesn't go in this recording, please follow us there at podcemetery. You can subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. 
Don't forget to rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And I've been Jesse. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Jazz. Yes. Any last words? You're so cool, Kung Fu. I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. Addicted to the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape More than some fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones Remember that you're in that chair And so don't, like, lean back Don't rock on... Do you you do remember that one of those chairs broke, right? You're right. Mm. I was standing and it collapsed. That's horrible. Yeah. I was shocked mm-hmm. when I got up and nothing hurt, nothing was broken, nothing was sprained. I was and he wasn't in the room. Like I was putting I was cleaning or I was putting something up or something. I was standing Thought on the for chair. For sure she had broken her leg or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm standing on it like this, and it just collapses under me. I go straight down. Nothing. That's great. (sighs) I literally wrote down, what's with the cat? (laughs) (laughs) Because the cat makes the letter from the ant magically appear. And I think I didn't know that the cat was magic yet. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wait, that was a weird jump. Is this the next day? No, the letter just appears from the ant, and then Gorgeous reads it and is like, oh, good, she wants us to come. <laughs> yes, exactly. When sweets, um, this is, don't put this in the episode. When they find sweets, they don't ever find her body, they find a naked doll. Exactly. Under all the mattresses. Ah, that's fun. Back around. She says, just let me eat you. <laughs> oh my God, was that your, no. Oh, thank you're God, good. I thought that was your foot. No, you're good. Okay. Sorry. It, the movie was so disjointed that I got the highlights from it, but I was so caught up with the visuals that I was struggling to follow the plot line, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> yeah, because there's not, the plot's weird. The plot is weird. Sigh. <laughs> it is about a really um, uncomfortably uh, real relationship that you're watching fall apart. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this this young woman tags along with her reluctant boyfriend's pack of friends and to, off to Sweden to the commune of one of their friends, you know, hang on, let me do this again. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the hardest things to get right when we first started doing this, was how do you talk about the premise without just going into the entire plot? Exactly. Um, Okay, so... um By the way, I invited her. (laughs) She's not going to say yes, she's not going to go, but just so you know. Pela, Pela, Pele, we'll just call him Pele. Hey guys, 
Do you think there are dicks out here? <laughs> Pele, Pele. So are we just not going to comment on the bear? What? It's a bear. But yeah, it also, it, yeah, the, her skin, skin the fool. I know that uh, the redhead, the Joker. Um, ha! He's not the Joker. That's not the Joker? No, that's not the Joker. He's just another redhead? No, he's the guy from Meet the... We're the Millers. Oh, you're right. Like, we can take this out. Mm -hmm. It's a legitimate question. When you are killed with gas, don't you just fall asleep? Oh, no. Oh, no. You asphyxiate and, like, it's not a a nice thing. Oh, okay. You mean, like, being put in a gas chamber? No, like, what happened to the parents at the beginning with, like, exhaust... I thought that you just fall asleep. Well, they were already asleep. They probably never woke up. Right, but I understand that. But isn't that why a bunch of people die that way? Is because they just fall asleep? Yeah, carbon monoxide would... uh... So why don't we do that for people? That sounds like a pretty good way to go. I'd rather we just didn't kill people. I agree. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm on the train with with Chris. <laughs> I'm talking about euthanasia. Oh yeah, oh. well that that's that's different. It's like some combination of benzos and things like that. That is yeah. They're sedating you into yeah. into. Death. Oh, so that is painless. Yeah. Yes. They're so not why paralyzing don't we do that for you. prisoners because we're America. Yeah. Okay, worst. but you are saying that when people decide to do it and it's legal and everything, then it is painful. Yeah. I would like to th- say so. I'd like to think so. Uh-huh. I, I think that's the design of it. I think. <laughs> is anything ever painless, Kelsey? Right, yeah. Can, and well, can no, we know? Because I mean, like, nobody can report right. back. How can we know? You're, how can we know? And it, I, I, w- I would assume that based on the amount of like sedatives... And I don't know. I don't know what the cocktail is. If it's like a very high amount of an opioid and a sedative, yeah, or like yeah, I think it's like yeah. a lot of an opiate. Yeah, it's like yeah, putting I mean, a cat to just, sleep, but in larger doses. Couldn't you just give someone morphine until they die? Yes. Well, I think that's, that's a lot of what they're doing. Yeah. yeah, people do that on the down low all the time in hospice and stuff. That's also how a lot of uh, angels of death do it. Yeah, like Kevorkian. Yeah, well, Kevorkian was more like legit, but doing things he shouldn't have been doing, but he was given permission to do. When I say angel of death, I mean actual like nurses, nurses and shit like that that are killing their patients. They're perfectly, uh, perfectly healthy patients. Oh, really? By overdosing yeah. them on things like morphine oh, and stuff oh, like shit, that. Oh shit! I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, crazy ass nurses. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it is a real thing. I had no idea. Awesome. Kung Fu is cool. Yeah. She was great. <laughs> Kung Fu is dope. 